Hello. Hello there. There, I waited and uh, got you on the first hello. <laughs> That's Excellent. good. That's good. No uh, shouting into the void. <laughs> Slowly but surely, we are learning. Yeah, and as soon as we figure it out, uh, pandemic will be done. Yeah. You're like, oh, now we know how to do this. Ah, yes, to. yes. Yeah. I made an appointment for a, a vaccination, actually, uh, next week. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. Next week Fantastic. on... on what day is it? On on Wednesday next week, the 14th. Oh, that's great. So the next show you do, you'll be vaccinated. I will be vaccinated. I will be safe. So this is your first, uh, this is your last, uh, you know, uh, a, a danger that's right. uh, podcast. That's right. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I feel in such so much danger sitting by myself in, in this, in the shop. Well, you don't know where the chickens have been. I, you know what? I do. And that makes it worse. Okay, I was going to go, they've got a little jacket saying Whistler on the back. I'm like, how did they get to Whistler? <laughs> how did they get there? Are those chickens yeah. Australian? Yeah, just doing the chicken runs up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what they have. The, there's the bunny hill and then the chicken run. If I uh, if I had more confidence, I'd do uh, an Australian accent chicken, but I don't. So, <laughs> I think we can work our way up to that. You don't have, yeah, you need that confidence to, just that moment of just abandoned where you're not like second guessing yourself you just kind of throw yourself into it yeah there's a bit of me that's just like could i do that no i could probably do owen wilson as a chicken but uh that'd be it that'd be about it but again we'll work our way up to it (laughs) yes it's uh it's sometimes that yeah when you listen back to yourself doing something and you're like man what i couldn't do that if i was just thinking about it i would never do that no i this there's times where i'm uh talking to pia and I'll do. I'll just do an impression. They should go. How the hell did you do that? Like I don't know, and I can't do it again. <laughs> that, that is the worst. That's that, it. That's happened when I'm driving as well. I'll be driving along and I'll get this voice down. I'll be like, "Oh man, that is so good." And then if I attempt it outside of that situation, no, it's no good. Sorry, it's Dave. It's in the shower. Yeah, situation. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you got to. Sometimes you got to like get out the phone then and just hit record and just go. It's just like okay. Well, Get into it. Walk, 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 walk. Is that like Owen Wilson? Well, it sounds like I'm saying talk, 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 walk, 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 walk. Yeah, kind of. Talky, 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 walky, walky, walky. Yeah, but and then they listen to it later and just go, "What the fuck was this? Why did I record this? I don't remember it at all. I had no context whatsoever." And again, it's look—it's looking at the notes you wrote next to your bed. You know, like I gotta write down—I gotta write down my thoughts at night. Dog yogurt. <laughs> That's exactly okay. right. I'm sure I told you the story, but I once had this fantastic dream where I was working with the cast of SCTV, doing this fantastic sketch. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, I've got to write this down so I remember. And I just wrote down this sketch idea and then I fell back asleep. And in the morning I woke up and I was like, oh man, I got that great idea. What is it? Chicken soup. Chicken soup? What does that mean? <laughs> that is not helpful, Dave. No. You should have put it. Well, put I, still, in. I still would like to read that sketch. <laughs> Me too. I, I have no idea. Want to perform it I on wish, the air. I wish I knew what it was. I wish I knew. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> sure who I could get from SCTV to do it. Maybe Robin Duke. Might be able to get Robin Duke. Yeah, probably. Technically, she's... technically, she was on the show. Technically, she's fine. Yeah. She's there for a year. Fill in for uh, Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, and then she uh, went to um, she went to do uh, Saturday Night Live with Tony Rosato. Both of them. Yeah, well, I guess, I guess that was uh, 
I don't know what that was. Was that sort of a buy-off? Did did Broadway Video like did um, Lauren Michaels produce the the NBC version of SCTV? Was that produced through the under the aegis of the Saturday Night Live? I don't know. I mean, they all knew each other, you know. Well, they did for sure, but plucking grounds, and also, you know, by that point, SCTV was quite popular. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's where you would go. I mean, I know they were they tried to get Catherine O'Hara around then. And she well, was they, like, no, after, after doing it, she was like, no. Um, oh, um, yeah. doing Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I do remember. Oh, man, I remember a sketch she did on, on was it like, you know how they'd often do like what some weird, weird sketch at the very last one of the night? Yep. I remember she was in one and it had like a kind of a weird, like kind of downer ending, but there was no clue to the audience of what to do. <laughs> You know, like, so it just kind of ended in absolute silence. You're just like, woo, that is no, you know, like they didn't put an applause sign up or anything. So the people that, because, you know, if you're not like clearing the audience, like this is the end, maybe, maybe you should applaud. They don't know. It's They're almost, sitting on their hands. I'm uh, not the first person by any means to say this, but it's one of the few shows that you can actually bomb on still on TV. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they would normally just like, well, that didn't work. We're going to cut it out. But, but you can actually literally bomb on TV. Yeah. So it's weird watching like, say, the Gilbert Gottfried season. Okay. Where it was just bomb after bomb after bomb. <laughs> and just going like, wow, you don't see this yeah. on TV. The audience is mad. And you're like, you guys lined up. You lined up for this. You, you wanted yeah. to see this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are you angry? What's happening? It's so confusing. <laughs> I'm yeah. curious. And why won't Gilbert Gottfried do his voice? Why won't he do the funny voice? Ah, he's saving it. Why? <laughs> What for, are you doing? What? What's everybody doing? Why aren't you letting Eddie Murphy do more? What are you doing? I wonder if you do a character on Saturday Night Live if it becomes their property, though. I believe so, yeah. So maybe that's why he didn't do his voice. <laughs> no, that could, that could be, but, you know, all want, right. Didn't want to lose they, that. Because, I mean, that's a, stage, that's a stage persona. You don't want to give that away. I wonder. I wonder if it's a character, if that counts as a character, or if it's just a voice. Like if Sam Kinison was on the show, yeah, and he's screaming thing, and like, well, we own that now because you came on the show, and as, like, if well, yeah, like but a, he's just a, he's member. just a guest. He would be a guest. He wouldn't be a no, no. But I'm like, if he came on as a cast member, yeah, yeah, and yeah, he started screaming in a sketch. <laughs> would they go? We own your screaming now. Well, if they gave, yeah. I mean, it depends. Like, what they want from their from their performers though is characters, right? So let's say that let's say that Sam Kinison came in the, on the show as a cast member, and they turned that bit from his comedy act into a character. Yeah. You know, like say the the worst office, uh, you know, worst uh, person to work work with in an office. You know, just a guy who like just starts raging at people and just losing it. You know, which would be kind of funny actually, just some guy like just <laughs> going into a rant. But you know, if that happened, and I guess they thought it was like a marketable character, I guess you could conceivably not be able to do that character outside of that show. I don't think like Chris Rock could be Nat X outside of Saturday Night Live, could he? Well, here's here's a question. Not that I've he wants to be, because I probably, he probably just threw that together in two seconds, you know, just trying to get on the show, but Yeah, you know, it's it sounds like a thing and it's a thing. Here here's here's uh here's uh my my question is uh so you got Martin Short mm-hmm. and he does it grimly on Saturday Night Live, but he's done it grimly on, uh, of course, uh, you know, Second City and yeah. SCTV. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now does, you know, do they go, oh, you own this and we own this? Or do you, the second you do it on Saturday Night Live, does Saturday Night Live own it for like eight years or for whatever? <laughs> and then when he's doing like the completely mental misadventures of Ed Grimley 
TV show cartoon, do they own it now? What happens? What happens there? Or here's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Mark McKinney, he was on, you know, he does the chicken lady on kids in the hall goes and does Saturday night live. And one time does, uh, the chicken lady show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, so now does Saturday night live own the chicken lady. Speaking of a bomb, uh, you know, I well, I mean, I mean, I'm. I suppose all these things are negotiable. You know, so someone like Martin Short coming on Saturday Night Live, he's coming in at an advantage. He's not a Chris Farley. He's not a Adam Sandler. Someone looking to become famous. He's already well known, so he can. He has a bit of a, a hammer, right? Is yeah. He, is he well known then? But you said he was well known from from Saturday Night, from SCTV. You said that was a popular well, show. Well, I mean, he did he did Ed Grimley on 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 SCTV. Yeah. Uh, but was yeah, just wondering if he was like well known enough to be like you know making uh, this is mine. By gosh, I'll <laughs> tell you this. Yeah, um, yeah. I think was... that I think that it. I don't think that SC, or Sunday Life could claim that it was invented, you know, on their show or that they had a hand like you know that they had a hand in the creation of it. You know, okay, it already exists so outside of did, it. Yeah, he did Three Amigos mm-hmm. in '86. Okay. And I guess he did. He, did he join Saturday Night Live in '85? Yeah, '84 to '85 season. Okay. Okay. But before then, you know, I I know he was like in a not good sitcom uh, that he had to make a decision whether or not to leave or not, and he left. And it was a bad sitcom. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was bad. Okay. I've been watching like was... a lot of uh, like I'm doing this writing exercise uh, now where I'll look at like a random sitcom opening and then try to come up with a plot for it just to warm my brain up. Was so it, I'm seeing uh, a lot of, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that post, yeah. Yeah, so I'm seeing a lot of, like, really weird, like, oh, geez, like one season or three episode sitcoms, and, you know, you, you learn that Jason Alexander was in a lot of stuff. Like, everyone <laughs> everyone that you know from sitcoms now that's successful yeah. was in some sitcoms that were not successful. But, yeah, Martin Short, uh, there was uh, some sitcom that he was uh, in, uh, oh, I'm trying to was it, uh, it was. was it Two and a Half Hitlers? Uh, you're not a million miles away from, from the title. That was that was actually surprisingly close to that. Yeah, I think it's one of these things that, like, I don't think he's uh, he's uh, is, it list, is it even listed anywhere here? Let me well, I think I I think I mentioned this a while ago because I was what somehow I went YouTube one time. I ended up. Oh, on this... I'm a big girl now. That's what it was. I'm a big girl now. Yeah, I'm a big girl now. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, it was a Danny Thomas uh, uh, sitcom. Uh, yeah, with a divorced woman who's, you know, I guess uh, moves it? back with her, her dad, and then he, Martin Short's a goof that's that's in it. But it yeah. wasn't wasn't Marlo Thomas. No, it was uh, Diana uh, Canova, who I think was on Soap, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay, I think, yeah, hmm. I think, so. yeah, she was on Soap. She was a regular on that. That was that was her main thing. Huh, that was a good show, Soap. Yes, indeed, it was. Yes. You're, you're correct. Danny I'm, Thomas was in a lot of shit. Holy shit, Danny Thomas was in a lot of stuff. Anyway, go ahead. Continue. No, I was just going to say, like, well, I, I talked about this in the show quite a while ago, but yeah, I watched, like, somehow I ended up in my feed this, like, 10 sitcoms you've never heard of or something like that, and, and I was watching it, and that's what it was. Like, these opening, like, full-on, like, openings for sitcoms with, like, the yeah. whole established of two two male characters who are polar opposites or whatever and have uh, raising a daughter. Some things like that, right? You know, and the show's... And the show, and there are a show called, like, The Beresfords and it has, like, them in their house and it shows... And you're watching and it's going, like, I've... 
Like, I thought I knew television to a degree. Like, I'm kind of out of the loop now. But when I was a teenager, I was, like, glued to the TV, like, 24 hours a day, it felt like. And and, uh, I do not... I don't remember... (laughs) I don't remember any shows. Well, I, I was watching one last night. Yeah. And it was, uh, well, there's two, two that sprung to mind. One was the Victor Garber uh, comedy drama. Okay. Uh, I have three wives, mm. uh, which is uh, he's divorced three times and he solves mysteries, but he solves mysteries with the help of his wives because he's still <laughs> friends with them. Okay. Okay. But he's got different relationships with all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's uh, there's that. And then the other one I was watching was a James Coco sitcom uh called the dumplings and it's him and his wife and uh they run a diner and they really enjoy food and everyone makes fat jokes about them all the time but they're really lovable but everyone really makes a lot of fat jokes about them and i was like what's this about and it ran for like seconds uh but it was based (laughs) on a comic strip of the time and you're like a popular one no not very popular at all and it's a, it, again, it was just this, uh, it's a well-drawn comic strip, actually. Huh. Uh, but, uh, you know, and you look up that one, it's like forgotten comic strips. Well, how did this all happen? <laughs> I guess that's, yeah, that's the other, I guess yeah. there's lots of different rabbit holes you can fall into. Like, for that, yeah, that kind and it of was stuff. like just before I think he lost all the weight and did his, I guess when you do a sitcom where the whole premise is, eh, you know, then you, <laughs> then you lose a bunch of weight and you do the diet book, you know, which... <laughs> Yeah, you're not a dumpling anymore. Yeah, you're not a dumpling anymore. You know, there, there you go. Yeah, I mean, again, I always thought of that with William Conrad. You know, when he was going, when his agents calls him in and goes like, "Hey, William, we got a TV show for you." Oh, that's fantastic! I use the word. Okay, so uh, just show up on Monday to it. What's it called? It doesn't matter what it's called. Just show up on Monday, and it's uh, it's fantastic. Great script. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually know what it's called. Okay, sure. Let me look it up. Uh, Jake and the Fat Man. It's called Jake and the Fat Man. All right, so off you go. It's like, so am I? Uh, am I? Uh, Jake? You're not Jake. Yeah, you're not Jake. Okay, well. <laughs> you know, could be called a wake-up call, I guess. <laughs> anyway, okay. I think I think he'd seen a mirror. Yeah. Okay. Bye. I mean, William Conrad had already gone. And then as he's leaving, they're going like, "Hey, when the show was called Canon, yeah. was that a joke about that?" And I was like, "No, you're, it's like a gun. It's like it's like your name was Magnum." Yeah, yeah. There's a show called Magnum, huh? <laughs> and it's like you were Canon. It's the same thing. Yeah. Exactly the same thing. Ah, it's fine. I don't think you have to worry yeah. about uh, Will and Conrad's uh, sense of uh, he'd already been humiliated by not by being passed over for the as as uh, playing um, um, the sheriff in Gunsmoke, which he played on the radio for forever. And when it was made into a TV show, they they brought in that James Arness, and he got the he got the heave ho. No, oh, well, he he got to do Bullwinkle, so that's because he sounded great. But great. he did not look like a like a tough sheriff. That's just not, you know. And what else was he the narrator on? Here's some trivia for you. So you said he did uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Did he do? He was also the narrator on a drama that ran from 1963 to 1967. Here is a clue, David. It was made into a wait, successful. Wait, wait, wait. I no, I was going to already guess the fugitives. So. Oh well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> you, didn't to, movie? you didn't have to give me the hint. I, I knew it. I knew exactly what it was because I watched that show. From, I watched that show from beginning to end when I had cancer. Uh, okay. Because it was on daily, uh, and at that time I 
I had nothing to do but lay in an exhausted state and uh, watch television. So what I couldn't, what I couldn't, when I had to, when I was in the clinic, for uh, I would tape it, and when I got home, I would, I would watch watch it, and I just decided I because it's an, a show that actually has the beginning and an end, which is pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Like most shows, you know, they get canceled, and so you're like, well, what happened with the invaders? Did that guy ever find those people with the shorter pink here? What happened? Nope, it's just gone. So, but this this show, they had like a. a you know, they had like a planned out. Well, you know, I don't think how I don't think it was like, you know, if it had gone in two more years, they would have been happy. But when it was reaching its conclusion, they had like an ending in mind, and they did the ending where he actually, mm. yeah, the show actually ends and there's a conclusion to it, which I thought was pretty cool. So I decided I was going to watch it all. And I remember I'd never thought about be about it before, but I was w- watching it with Lisa, and she said, "Oh, this is a Ford show." I said, what do you mean? She said, oh, well, if you look at shows back from that time period, they would have different car manufacturers who would provide the cars for the show as promotion. And so you wouldn't have like a mix of Chrysler's, Ford's and and Pontiac's and stuff like that. You just have like one company. So The Fugitive, for instance, was a Ford show. Every car in the show was a Ford car or truck. Nice. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's interesting to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I'm I'm laying out two more bits of trivia. By the way, we will start this show at some point. Sure. Um, All right. Two more bits of trivia for you. Okay. Uh, with him narrating. Yeah. So he narrated yeah. a sci-fi show that mm. was on television okay. in 1979. What show did William Comrade narrate? Ran for two seasons. Battlestar Galactica? Nope. Around that era, though. Logan's Run? Nope. Oh, dang it. Not Buck Rogers. Yes, sir. Oh, shoot. I should have guessed that sooner. I was. He was the narrator for Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Bitty, 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 bitty. Failure. This was a movie. I failed. I liked. Okay. But but in general, it's considered to be quite the bomb. Okay. 1991. 1991. A heist movie. And he narrated it. He narrated it. Yes, he did. It had a. uh, It starred an actor. Who started off uh, in in you know started off on television? Okay, uh, had a had a had a show and then uh, was, became a surprise action star and uh, was uh, this was kind of the first action movie this person was in that kind of went ooh oh, um, didn't do that well but was, wait uh, wait on the... oh, this is not Hudson Hawk is it? Yes, sir, it is. He narrated Hudson Hawk. He narrated the opening and closing. Yeah, yeah, the Hudson Leonardo Hawk. da Vinci stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I, I love that movie. I don't. Yeah, I, mean, I like it too. I shouldn't say love it, but I really, I do enjoy that film. I thought when yeah, I, no, I think everyone does a nice performance. Yeah, I think everyone like gets it. Everyone gets it. And if you've ever read, read Richard E. Grant's book of his, like his collection of his diaries, he put out as a, as a book, mm-hmm. and the sections where he's talking about doing that film, it does sound like it was a lot of fun for the cast as well. But it's one of those rare films that was fun for the cast and also for the audience because there's lots of movies. And I was watching someone talking about Yellowbeard the other day, which I saw when it came out, and I have no plans, media plans, to see it again. I saw it in, uh, on, on VHS, but okay. Okay, I saw it at the Capital Six. I went down to Vancouver. Very nice. With Story the, checks out. You know, because I wanted to see, you know, it's Graham Chapman, it's got John Cleason, it's got Eric Idle, and a host of other, you know, British comedy lumin, luminaries as well. I think some American actors as well. And so it's, but you know, it's one of those movies where... I think Eric Idle said it. He said, that movie was one of my best experiences of my life. I've never laughed harder or had more fun making a film. And it's an absolute piece of garbage. (laughs) 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 But it's just one of those movies where, yeah, like sometimes there's films where 
like that movie doesn't come across that way as much. Say Casino Royale comes across as as the actors are having fun, but it's at your expense. Like there's a certain smugness to the fun they're having that I yeah, that's yeah. really off putting. Cannibal Runny. Yeah. yeah, I have not seen Cannibal Run, but I can imagine that that has. Whereas, more Cannibal Run too. Yeah. yeah. Whereas this Yellowbeard just feels like a movie where no one quite knew what they were doing, and they just they did it anyway. And what you see is what you get. But everyone, you know, everyone gave it a hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like, and so they're having fun, but yeah, it doesn't really translate very well as a film. Because okay, and I'm going to give you one final bit okay. of trivia about William Conrad before we get things started. Sure, sure. Okay, very good. Um, 1971. 1971. It's Earth Day, and uh, William Conrad narrates a commercial that will become quite famous. It's about the Earth. They can take care of the Earth. What happens in this uh, commercial? That's the uh, the famous uh, famous commercial from Earth Day. This is This isn't one with the the Native American crying, who wasn't actually a Native American. That is absolutely right. At Iron Eyes Cody, uh, having uh, which who of course was really Italianized Cody. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. You know, Garfield's thrown at his feet, and he cries, and it's when Conrad doing the voiceover. You know. You know, okay. What like, a Cleo. What they, a Cleo they cheated. They cheated a bit, I guess, with the with the portrayal. But it is a very effective commercial. Like that still is in my mind as a, you know, whenever I throw garbage out of my car window, I think of that. I think of that uh, commercial. Yeah. Well, Iron Eyes Cody did a lot of that character. Is that right? You know? Yeah. It's in like North of the Great Divide with uh, Roy Rogers. Uh, okay. He's got a couple of yeah. Oh, he did a lot of the big trail. Yeah, yeah. About a Smith, a man called Horse. Huh. Uh, huh. Yeah. And, and yeah. of course, Ernest goes to camp. So there you go. Well, that was a time. That was a time period when Italians the could old, act, but but Native Americans couldn't. Yeah, Sioux Massacre. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, did a lot. Huh. Uh, so so there you go. And this is uh, of course. By the way, if you're joining us for the first time, we do a podcast about William Conrad <laughs> called "Is This Canon?" And what happens is I run different things like Dave and say, "Was he? Was this a, a William Conrad?" Yeah. Uh, thing or or not? If it's not, then it's not canon. Yeah. So uh, thank you for tuning into. Is this canon? Um, you know what? I'm tired of doing this podcast. Though, can we do our old Sneaky Dragon podcast? Sure, we can. You still have the theme song to that? I somewhere might have lost it, but let me I'll let me see uh, if I can dig it up. Let's see if I can. Wait, dig you it know up. what, Dave? I think yeah. I can sing it. I think <laughs> I can sing it. Let me let me try. Okay. Okay. Give me give me a second. Yep. <gasps> Sneaky Dragon Way. Oh, good. Okay, so yeah, that was that was our that, theme song. That was try to find it next time because I don't want to have to sing it every time. <laughs> yes, I will. I won't bother. I won't bother this week. I won't bother looking for it. But next week, I'll have uh, it for sure. All right, I, I appreciate that. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Sneaky Dragon. I guess this would have been you know, where we left off last time we did. Uh, so this is episode four hundred and eighty-eight. Uh, I'm Ian Boothby, and I'm David Dedrick, and we are recording this at the. Hopefully, oh, hopefully, near end of uh, pandemic days. Uh, and so, uh, uh, David, uh, as you may have heard in the uh, pre-show, uh, <laughs> it's like looking to get vaccinated. So this is your last unvaccinated episode uh, with, with David. So yeah. 
you know, lifetiming will not have a chip in your arm, <laughs> controlling your thoughts. Full of nanos. Yeah, with the uh, New World Order, you know, yeah. uh, Trudeau controlling your brain. I, I've heard all about it from... Uh... Dave, you know, do you ever think sometimes maybe the real virus is fear? Because um, <laughs> I don't fucking think that at all. And people run that idea by me lately. Well, <laughs> you know what? The people who are saying that to you are the ones who are full of fear. Yeah. They're the ones full of fear. You know, like everyone else is handling this as best they can, you know, as bravely as they can. We're getting through this. Then there's a bunch of people who are scared out of their wits, who don't know what they're doing, don't know what to do about it, and are just in full on panic and are just, you know, just, just are melt, major meltdown. And it's just kind of sad to to watch. And and a lot of them are people that you respected at one point in your life. This is the thing that bugs me. It feels like we're in that moment and I'll get into a more specific example in a second. That's in the real world, but it feels like you're in a zombie movie and you're in the mall and you've got the doors locked and you see the zombies on the other side and we're all inside and we're like, we got enough food in here to last a year. And then, you know, about a weekend, one of you goes, I can't take it no more, and runs to the door and is opening the door. And it's just like, what are you doing? And then they turn back to you and like, you're all cowards. The real fear, the virus is fear. And then, of course, the zombies come in and you're like, oh, you sack of shit. And that's what it feels like with these people. It's just like there's going to be one that's going to and Yeah, so this week uh, there was a local restaurant called uh, The Corduroy. Because, you know, when you think of uh, tasty food, you think of corduroy pants. Um, <laughs> there's something about corduroy pants that just makes you think, but, mmm, yeah. ice. Well, uh, and I've, I've performed there a couple of times, which okay. is why this one pisses me off. Because <laughs> like, oh, I well, sort of know people that uh, okay. Okay. work yeah, there. Yeah. And when, when they were show, and they decided, we're going to stay open. We're going to stay open. And so the health, health inspectors went in. There was a video of it. And everyone in the restaurant went, yeah. Hey, you're Nazis! You're Nazi Hitlers! You Hitler Nazis! And uh, chase them out and all this. And, and I sort of recognized like, some faces in there and I was like, oh, oh. It was just so disappointing seeing, you know, just seeing people be just dumb. <laughs> uh, but boy, how, you know, just what a, uh, what a dumb hill to die on, like a, a hill of chicken wings. Like, what a dumb... <laughs> Like I, I get, I get that you're losing. I get, I get that. I get losing money. I get, I get the stress. This has been on businesses. It's been uh, crazy stress for so many people. I get it. But you can't. You can't. You're right. When you're right, you're right. Yeah, they. Uh, I, just, uh, they right. I was just going to say that. Um, they, uh, I can't remember what I was going to say now. <laughs> I thought. Sorry. Well, I'm going to say quick. You go I had two. I had two books come out during COVID times when uh, uh, the stores that you would, and, and normal venues that you would normally sell these things in weren't around. Yeah. So we did yeah. not get to do any real promotion for these things. Mm-hmm. And I know at the end of every one of these shows, I plug the books, The Extra Sisters and Sparks. And, and Sparks actually, the second Sparks book actually did become like, uh, a, a bestseller in Canada for about a month and a half, um, but but still in all, you know, we got like uh, numbers back uh, yesterday for both, and yeah, you can just tell like the difference between 
you know, the previous book, because they're the second books in the series of both. I, I, I just look and go like, oh, yeah, this is night and day. This is night and day because, you know, it it cost a lot of money this this uh, this uh, this year for, for me, like a lot uh, to, to the point where it's just like wandering around the, 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 the yard just going, huh, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, and and so I've got empathy with people who have like you know are, are struggling. Yeah, but uh, but you can't, you know, and and, and, long, and then I go back in the house because I got to stay inside until I get vaccinated. Frankly, I've got, I've got to, you know, I've got to just uh, stay down because also I am lucky enough to not have a job that I have to go out and do, you know, da da. So mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, anyway, that's better. Yeah. And I'm kind of going a little, little crazy from it, but you know, there you go. I'm pretty sure yeah. we did this podcast. Uh, the last podcast we did of this was about mm, six hours ago. That's sort of what it feels like. <laughs> and like you're saying to me, it's a week. Wow. I'm trusting you. You're time good is person. telescoping. Yeah, I'm. I'm just been trying to. Bit. I've been trying to accelerate the number of shows we're putting out there. Yeah, it's. Uh, I have listenership goals. Is, Time is silly putty to me. It stretches <laughs> and then it gets small and then it's a comic strip for a while. And then it becomes a ball that you can throw really hard against a wall. And now I'm, now I'm in the great escape. <laughs> yeah. Except I'm not. I'm not escaping because I'm in the cooler. And But that's okay. I'm the cooler king. We'll <laughs> be fine. Anyway, uh, if you don't mind carrying this show, I'd appreciate it. Go for it. <laughs> thanks thanks for taking us out into a limb and then cutting off the back of it and leaving me to here dave you take care of it now that's fine you're good you got a lot of good stories to tell Uh, do i uh, yeah yeah so uh, you know what's something about the beatles go go for it did any of the beatles ever enjoy tintin did they ever read read that (laughs) i don't think it ever came up i don't think i will well i think tintin came out too late for the beatles yeah, they were already teenagers when when Tintin came out in England because it wasn't translated, I think, until the fifties. So yeah. they would have been no, that makes sense. They would have been too cool for that. They would have been. Yeah, they they had other stuff to do. They're trying to figure out the chord sequence for Twenty Flight Rock. You know, just... yeah, no, that uh, that 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 makes sense. Okay, I was thinking about that story I... a little while ago about the Beatles, where they, I think it was John and Paul, got on a bus and went took a bus trip across Liverpool. To meet this guy that they'd heard of, who knew a chord that they didn't know, and they took this what? Bu- they took this bus trip and to, so they could learn this chord, like a guitar chord, and then uh, and they just went back home again. Now they had a new chord they could incorporate into their playing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So okay, huh? Because that's how huh. you had to do it then. There's just no internet, no no one teaching you, no books necessarily are not 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 readily available. Probably no Mel Bay. Book of you know guitar and guitar lessons at that time. So yeah, you just tra- you figured it out on your own, or you you heard about someone who knew a how to do a bar chord, and you went, oh, he can do a bar chord. How do you even do a bar chord? Okay, I got I got to get on a bus. I don't care. It's gonna take two hours. We're gonna find out. We're gonna find out about this bar chord thing. Wow. Plus they're you know they're young teenagers. They had lots of time. Lots of time. Oh, think about all the time you had when um, you were a teenager. I, I, I think like if uh, I was thinking like comic book wise. Something I'd like to do sometime is get all the uh, 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 Superman and Jimmy Olsen comics that John Lennon had on his organ in help and uh, put those. <laughs> you put those on your own organ? Are you there? 
Did I lose you? Hello. Hi. Hello. Sorry about that. That's okay. I think I, that might have been my internet here. We, we have uh, we're having internet difficulties still. Well, it said it said here on my screen that there was a problem with the network. On so your end, or I have been, no, no. I think it was a network problem. as in Skype. Yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe that was the instant. Yeah, I mean that's the case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, what at what point did I drop off? Um. I don't don't remember what we were talking about. We were talking about the Beatles. I was talking probably. Oh, you're talking, no, you're talking about you're talking about the, the the comic books, and I and I said to you, yes. do you want would um do you want to put them on your on your own organ? <laughs> well, no, I didn't mean it like that. I didn't mean it like that. I did not mean it like that. I would just... you like to put Jimmy Olsen on your organ? <laughs> <laughs> I just oh, meant like on John Lennon, like John Lennon had him oh, on his organ. I should not. Oh no, I should have been Superman's gal, Lois Lane. Oh no, I should have said that. <laughs> Why did I go with Jimmy Olsen? <laughs> no, I got a list of the uh, of all the comics that were on there. So okay, it's, like, it's tempting. So you'd have to buy. You'd have to buy those comics, all right? Yeah, yeah. First of all, I'd have to get rich because they're uh, pricey for the most part, I think. Uh, and then, uh, then yeah, get them. And then I'd have to get a, an organ, and then I'd uh, put them on there. This yeah. is this is the worst time in human history to have like interests. <laughs> so. Oh, it's a terrible time. Yeah, this is terrible. Either, yeah. either everything is like stupidly expensive to to like just beyond enjoyable, uh, or it's just like there's you can you can do the things that you enjoy doing. Those are the two. Those are the yes. two options. So either you're like, man, I'd like to go and uh, I maybe you know, I wonder well, how much that record costs that I'm interested in. What people are paying this? Oh my gosh. Okay, well, forget that idea. I'll find another way around it. Yeah, it's just like it's just there's just stupid money out there right now. Like, like if people aren't investing in Bitcoin, they're buying hockey cards or baseball cards. And if they're not buying baseball cards, they're buying non fungible tokens and spending sixty <laughs> sixty million dollars for people's. Uh, you know, computer-generated image that's bizarrely is like uses other people's images in yeah, in his image. Yeah, there's a lot of that's a real deep dark hole. And I mean, to, uh, yeah, yeah, and it's it's you know it's it's fine that he's that he does that just for his regular because I know that people's thing has been every day he does a a piece of of you know art and he posts it online. That's his thing. And lots of people follow okay. him, and that he's been doing this for years. And he, they're all computer, you know, they're all done on, um, you know, in his, uh, you know, they're all drawn on his computer, and they're drawn in like traditional art ways and stuff like that. But also, he does like collage and, and things like that, or and puts together images and then you know tweaks them in in his own way and, and makes them into something new. And like the guy whose work was used, you know, wasn't sweating that people had used it and it and it had been sold in the sixty million dollar boondoggle, but it's uh, it's just it yeah the whole but it's just it's just a, a symptomatic of a time period where there's just like so much money for some people and no money for everyone else and and the people who have all this money are you know gaming the stock market driving up Bitcoin you know killing uh you know killing the computer computer industry 
<laughs> uh, you know, well, for everyone else, I guess. Uh, it's, it's great if you're a bit minor, I suppose. And then, uh, and then it, you know, housing prices are out of control, like literally out of control. Like even the government now is going like, maybe we'll put in some cooling down uh, steps, you know, because this is, this is beyond ridiculous right now. Like, yeah, you know, uh, like I think I told you about a guy at work who had bought a house, had, you know, had put in an offer, had the offer accepted. And on the day of closing, they went into their lawyers and discovered that the person they sold to had backed out of the deal because the house had gone up a hundred thousand dollars in value. And so they, they wanted to put it on the market again. And so they lost the house. They couldn't buy the house. And now yeah. they're, now they're out there trying to find a house, but they have a ceiling and everything they're looking at is above their ceiling. You know, yeah. their, their amount that they can afford to get as a mortgage and to pay, you know, pay as a, you know, and have a, have a life. And, and it's, yeah, it's just completely bonkers this bonkers right now like and yeah, I, don't, I, I don't know if there's going to be a come down is there going to be a come down when everyone's back to work or not necessarily back to work but when life returns to normal and people you know <laughs> don't have that kind of disposable income because they have other things that they need to do or things they want to do you know because I, I imagine in the I, past people spend this money on entertainment travel well i'm trying to think like i just like the phrase when life returns to normal because I'm trying to think of like any time that there's yeah, yeah. been a yeah. a big thing that's occurred, and and then it's like you know uh, you know I, I know people want things to be normal, but like has it ever gone back to normal? Like what are you talking about normal? You know it's like uh, World War II. It's like okay, and now uh, World War II is over. Now things are going to go back to normal. Did did they? Was it normal, or did it all change? It all kind of changed. It kind of goosed up. Everything <laughs> changed a bit. The vibe changed. You sure, know, where, sure. you know, it's like nine eleven. Okay, but when are things going to go back to normal? Mm, yeah, and technically, yeah. you know, things are you know more normal, but yeah, it's definitely <laughs> a bit different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. You know, no, no, you, things are going to right. change anyway. Yeah, you're right. But I, I mean, things will change, and there will be elements that will be normal again, or will you know, like, are you saying that no one's going to go to the bar anymore when 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 people stop, when you know, when people aren't as worried about about uh, the the spread of the, the coronavirus, like I don't think people, I, are, I don't think people are just going to be like, I'll never go to the bar again. I mean, maybe some people will, but I don't think that's going to be a general feeling, you know. I think there's been a thing that has occurred uh, when you're coming off of when you're coming off of four years of what America went through, and then right into like the hardcore, complete lock it all down, you know, uh, or don't, you know. Um, you know, year of the, of the pandemic yeah. where it's, wow, we're all very different, aren't we? We have very different points of view. Like, and not just as an, I guess, live and let, oh, we can't, we can't live and let live. Cause you're going to, oh, you're going to open the door for the zombies. Okay. Fair. And I, you just know, you know, these people who are across from me, like I could, I, can I go back to the corduroy restaurant and perform or like, no, I'm not going back there again. Cause I know, you know, these, these jerks, <laughs> we're doing this you yeah. know and then but but then there's a lot of people like that what do i do do i just avoid these people now or I just go ah forget it ah forget it live and let live you know forgive and forget but you've got in that back of your head just just like should it come down to it they, they didn't give a fuck yeah about the about about other people around them mm-hmm. you know it's just gonna be it's gonna be a weird it's gonna be a it's gonna be odd and then yes, people will be will be uh, climbing up from uh, financial uh, uh, hard times, and then some other people will have like made hay while the sun shines, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And and that that's always rough. I hate to tell you this though that we are not 
cultural drivers. So there's going to be a generation that's going to come come up, uh, and they're going to be the ones who will be pushing the the narrative of of cultural change. And and that's that won't be us. That will be that will be the next twenty somethings who who come but out. Where are they? Okay, and so to... they're not gonna they're not gonna have the same feelings and memories of this as 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 uh, you are, you know. And so there's a you know there's a there was you know the World War One. There was the Spanish influenza. You know, yeah. look ahead five years from that. It's the jazz age. Everyone suddenly, everyone's out dancing and doing the Charleston, and and the you know, every, it's an age of celebration, and and then then the depression comes and it puts that yeah. puts a kibosh on that, and everyone's like, well, that you know, this is the new new now. We'll never we'll never recover from this, you know. Then World War II comes, and you're like, oh, this is terrible. Society's over. But within 20 years of that time, people are, it's the 60s and people are, it's incredibly, this incredible, like, vibrant awakening of, of, of a whole new kind of consciousness that, that's, that was like a seismic shift in thought and, and, and change, you know. So I just, I just think that, you know, it's, and that the, the generation that are going to turtle about this, you know they're going to have the, you know they're going to have their own reactions to it, and a lot of people are going to st- want to withdraw from the culture and stuff like that. But that's just going to leave like a vacuum for another another group of people to come into it and and you know make and make their make their uh, make their generation make their generational I hope, voice. I hope you know. So my, but let me ask let me ask you this, and maybe you know, maybe you don't. Mm. Um, is this a, uh, like this is the first generation that I can think of? That will uh, be coming into, you know, starting, starting off and coming into their own and, you know, establishing dominance, but with uh, considerable less money than the generation that's already there. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, used to, it used to be like, you know, okay, yes, you know, here comes the youth, but they have the dough. Like <laughs> they, they're better off than, than their parents were. And, you know, they can buy houses and they can do things. And here we go. And, you know, and now, well, mom and dad are going to retire and go off to whatever they're going to do. And, you know, but the young people now, what, well, how are they going to buy a damn house? Yeah. No. How, what, what are they going to do? Like the people that are going to own the property and have the money. And I mean, that's what it really comes down to is like you can have all the youth in the world. But if you don't have the money, then you don't have the say. You know, the people with the dough have the say, and it feels like the last generation, uh, the previous generation, will still be hanging on to that. You know, they've got the they've got the they've got the say in how things are run as long as they've got that. And so, yeah, I wonder if that'll twist things up in a bit of a, a bow. You know, it's well, it'll change things for sure, but I don't think it'd make things impossible. I mean, you know, there's already lots of kids who do outdoor parties and stuff like that. And I don't mean like a few people hanging around. I mean, hundreds of people just meeting someplace agreed to on Instagram or wherever and having a big giant get together and a big party. And I don't mean that's happening right now during coronavirus, but I mean, in the, before coronavirus came, there was lots of outdoor gatherings yeah. and stuff like that, like party, party get togethers, sure. you know, that, yeah. that are a way of working around like, you know, okay, there's no more speakeasies. There's no more clubs. There's no more discos for ki- for kids to go to because cities can't afford those spaces anymore. So kids are finding their own fun. They're making their own places to do this stuff, you oh. know? And, and, and yeah, I think, but when it comes to, okay. So say, say there's, let's, let's, let's say you were, um, you were how you were when you were young, but now, yeah. Say you're a young fa- father to be, yeah, and uh, and you uh, want a house because you want to like, you know, uh, raise raise your child in a sure, house. Sure, sure. Uh, what do you do? 
used to, you know, can you, could you still go on a fishing boat for a couple of months and afford a down payment on a, on a house of any kind? Like what's your, what's your options? You know, if you, if you were in the situation you were in then, mm-hmm. but now, yeah. so what's the modern David Dedrick do? <laughs> well, it's still possible. I mean, it's still possible. It's, it's hard, obviously. And I mean, even then it was like, if that hadn't happened, we never would have been able to get a house. You know, without without help from our parents. Yeah, you, but were I think probably, the, you were just on the edge of where you could probably get a house. Like houses were still conceivable. Yeah. To 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 purchase. I yes. can't I can't and remember with little, what the with a little boost. I can't remember what the what the ratio is in Canada of down payment to value of house. Uh, for some reason, I have a hundred thousand to five thousand in my mind. Mm-hmm. So. You know, if you're buying a four hundred fifty thousand or no fifty thousand, no wait, is it fifty thousand to five thousand? I can't remember now. Sorry, it, but yeah, it you still yeah you still yeah you still need to have savings in order to do that, and that's that's the that obviously is the tricky part, and that's and that's where you know the the older generation has to like when they can help help their kids, you know, when they can. That's not always possible, obviously, because everyone's situations that's are different. Thing, yeah, yeah, but but um. You know, I would love to be able to, I would love to be able to fund the girls, um, you know, because when Mary was looking at, when Mary was looking at renting a place in Chilliwack, and this is a Chilliwack, it was uh, $1,600 a month for a, a basement suite there. Ouch. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Like to live in Chilliwack, right? You're like an yeah. hour outside of Vancouver and you're paying that kind yeah, of money. Yeah, and for a basement suite. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, or maybe it was a ground floor of a house, something like that, right? Like it was still, but it was still like not not that much. Mm-hmm. And and I just when I heard that, I was like, well, man, that's the that's a mortgage, you know. Like if you're, it, what sucks for people is that if you don't have the the down payment, but most people are already paying mortgage like rates for the rent, you know. So what's stopping them from being able to like make that next step is the fact that all of their savings are going into the into the rent. Like, you know, like, I know my my mom, like, her thing is like, well, if you manage your money carefully, blah, blah, blah. No, no one had what you had, mom. Like, no one grew up in this weird pre-inflationary time, except for that generation who lived in this time when, you know, a house was, uh, you know, a reasonable amount of money and could be paid off, you know, conce- conceivably paid off within, within your lifetime <laughs> with what you yeah. earned, with what you earned, right? And... And that, you know, like, like when my parents sold their place in Coquitlam, they pretty much sold it at a, at like a, it was like a trade, right? They sold the house at this amount of money. They bought their, the house in North Delta for that same amount of money, mm-hmm. you know? So they didn't go into the house with like an incredible mortgage, or if they did go with, with, with a mortgage, it wasn't that much. It was maybe 10 grand or something like that, which is still a lot, but not, not crazy. Like, like the equivalent of that nowadays is like a hundred grand, you know? And... So, so you know, like my mom goes on, on about that kind of stuff. I just, I don't say very much. I just sort of shake my head because it's just not that easy. Like for Mary and Eve, you know, like for them to go out into the world and to be able to save up fifty to seventy thousand dollars in order to have like a down payment, you have to be able to have savings. But to have savings, yeah. you have to be able to be in a situation where you can save. And if you are renting, you can't save because so you know seventy percent of your income is going into the into the place you're living in you know and then you still have all your other necessities in life and there goes taxes and food mm-hmm. and whatever yeah yeah, yeah. And, then, and then if you want to live at all that's you know, right that's right yeah 
and that's just being a that's just being a hermit. So I was my, just looking at like houses in Chilliwack and how much they are. But yeah, yeah thank you. They're five hundred grand. They're about nine hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Oh yeah. So sorry, it's five hundred grand for a townhouse. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I know. It's it's just stupid. It's a, as much to live there as it is to live here. You know, like there's just no difference. There's absolutely. It's just the nature of uh, and people. So people who live work in Vancouver are living in Chilliwack and are commuting every day. You know, so mm-hmm. not only are you spending seventy percent of your income to live in a house, but you're also spending you know two to three hours of your life in a car in order to do so. It's it's like. Where what is wrong with our, with this picture? What have we, you know, whatever parents done to us? Come on, you guys, did you plan this? I think they did. <laughs> I think someone planned. Well, this. I'll just assume the system would still continue. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Yeah, yeah. I think there's people. I, I think there's people who knew that the the steps they were taking would result in this in what we have now, and that's what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Because there's some people who've made a lot of money out of out of this, you know, and. And then they they make a lot of money out of it, and then they talk down to us, you know, like yeah. that like that Bob Rennie guy who made billions of dollars uh, selling condos and stuff like that in Vancouver. I, I don't know who that is. Oh, yeah, okay. or Tom Rennie. I think Tom Rennie is his name. But yeah, he's this he he's like was a well known like real estate developer sales guy, you know, developed tons of condos. He did like that Shangri La in in Vancouver. Okay, yeah. And everyone's favorite building, by the way, when people say. Hey, you, you live in Vancouver? Like I do. Oh, I love that Shangri-La. It's beautiful. <laughs> like, yeah, eh? That's yeah. the first thing people talk about when they talk about Vancouver. They go, oh, Shangri-La. Gorgeous. <laughs> right. It's like, it's it's wherever you get. The first thing you do is you go to see the Shangri-La. You do. The first thing when you come to Vancouver. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, great. It's well worth it. It's beautiful. And then and then he had the like the gall to like, when people were complaining about the the cost of living in Vancouver, he's like, well, the problem is, is that people's parents have the money, their money is all tied up in their hoses. And you're like, okay, I don't see what, what is the problem? <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah. No, they're supposed to sell their house in order to redistribute that wealth to their kids. <laughs> but where do they go? They're supposed to live in a hole in the ground? Like, I don't quite understand. Like, what is the, like, the problem with like a, you know, the problem is like a high tide raises all boats. Like, because places are expensive in, in Vancouver, Places are expensive in Kamloops, you know. Right, because I've got like a, I've got three a hours out of Vancouver. question there. Sure. My math question there is okay. So the problem is that uh, the parents need to sell their houses. Okay. To who? <laughs> well, yeah. To who is right? I mean, to the people who are driving our market, which are outs- uh, people from outside of of British Columbia who are investing yeah, money this is, here. This is the thing. So it won't be. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it's clearly to him. Like that's <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, there's, there's profit to be made. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I get that. I get <laughs> what he's saying, and it's just like, hey, man, you know, be evil quietly. This is the problem. This is the problem with like the non-fungible tokens too. It's just like, shut up about it. Yeah, yeah. Do it. Just do it, you dumbass. Yeah. Don't be. You know, you're the guy who's going to attract Batman any second with your fucking evil scheme. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Joker, knock yeah. it off. Stop setting the money on fire. You dope. You know, you're making too big a, a, a picture, a picture of yourself there. Yeah. Ugh. Well, it's no. I just, I don't know. Like, I look at my niece and nephew and I just go, mm. you know, how are you, how are you going to get a house? Like, I, unless again, I mean, and luckily their parents are uh, real estate people, mm. so you know they'll probably be able to figure out a way. But uh, if, if not, then mm, 
what's the job you take that'll get you this? That, well, that's you know? it. I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not looking forward to the day, but you know, one day I will inherit some money from my parents, and what I'd like to do with that money is pass it on to the girls so they can invest in not all of it, but some of it to the girls so that they can invest in uh, in the real estate market, like get something. You know, they both of them are looking outside of. Outside of Vancouver, though, they're like looking in the Okanagan and places like that, which is still expensive, but it's not as expensive as here. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's weird the creeping expensiveness. Like uh, mm-hmm. I remember when I first uh, was in that, living for a short period of time in Nelson, BC, mm. and just I, I forget right now specifically what the amount was for houses, but it was oh, did you find some money in the couch? <laughs> Sold. Like, like basically, yeah, yeah. Like it was ridiculous. Yeah. Like it, it did make me go like. I should I should just buy a house to to just buy a house like just to know that I got one sure you know it was just so stupid like that that you know and and again good good on hippies for being hippies but the hippies <laughs> that were like living there you know they do they sell their jewelry on the weekend and that they had bought a house with that like it, it was just of course you can afford a house why wouldn't you be able to you know there you are it's fine you know well that was yeah. That was a time that was pre Coquihalla. That was pre like yeah. Like the infrastructure of BC was so lousy that you couldn't like easily travel to places. So you know, so the idea of moving to like Carameus or to Nelson or any of these sort of places, yeah, you're just like, what? Who wants to live in this godforsaken nowhere? Yeah, my favorite people were the people that uh, I worked with in Nelson who were like, oh, I can't stand living in the big city here. <laughs> oh, I, 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 they live like an hour outside of town. It's just like, it's just too fast paced here. I can't, I can't take it. I'm like, okay, fine. And then, you know, you ever go to their place, like, Jesus, do they just pay you to live here? How much is this? And it's literally just like a bag of sticks is how much their house costs. So, okay, fine. Well, the- There's always going to be some place to live. The funny thing about Nelson is it's almost a microcosm of Vancouver too, where like I, I was, someone was telling me about Nelson and they're just saying like the problem for Nelson is that, and the reason it's become so expensive is because there's so, so, so many, um, what once, what, once a time illegal, but now legal, uh, like grow ups in that area. Yeah. There was so much underground money that everyone was washing their money in Nelson, you know, so everyone was buying stuff and all the prices were going up because you could ask for any amount and they didn't care because they were just trying to get their money out of, out of the briefcase and into the, into the bank. So they didn't care what you're asking for the, for the house and stuff like that. And that's the same thing here in Vancouver now. Like, you know, it really is like, it's literally being run by uh, money launderers. That's who, that's who is like running our, our um, real estate, you know, the boom is all, it's all outside money, you know, like like um, David M., guest, former guest of the show, you know, he did census a few years ago around the West End, and he said it was just amazing how empty all those buildings were. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going around, you're knocking on doors, and there's no one anywhere around. Like, doesn't matter what time you went there. And, yeah, it's just, they're just all this whole, it's just holdings, holding everything, you know, because they just, they're just investments, and they're, they're they, you know, they want to flip them, they want to, it's a hot market, get in there, get it now. All these places that are s- selling right now at, at you know at these huge prices like they're being sold sight unseen like people aren't even going and looking at them they're just buying yeah, them. it's it's a way of uh laundering money the, <laughs> yeah, um, that's exactly right uh, which is which is also what's been going on with the casinos here yep you know that, that uh you know people walk in with with just bags of cash and but it's not yeah. it, but it's not any different like than that happened in new york city like new york city has gone through the exact same thing where where property prices just went astronomical 
you know, mm-hmm. and it and it's it's all been driven by international money that needs to find somewhere to hide, and this is these are good markets to hide things, you know, and uh, we get we're we're the natives with puka shells going, but what about our puka shells? <laughs> and these people with gold are saying, I don't, we don't really care about your puka shells. So. We got MF. Non fungible tokens. Here. <laughs> you take these non fungible tokens. It kills a forest somehow. It's art that kills a forest. So there, enjoy. There, it fucks up the environment. Huh? All right. I don't. I don't know. I was looking. I, uh, I was looking at a post on Facebook of the Woolworth Mansion, which is actually a penthouse in New York City, the top the top five floors of a, a skyscraper in in, in Manhattan. Uh, cost for that is basically seventy. Well, basically $80 million for five stories of this building. <laughs> $80 million. Like, I can't even imagine. Like, but there's people out there that they imagine it, and they don't only just imagine it, they, they go and buy it. So Okay, but if you've got, okay, say, say, like, if it was $50 million, would that be any less crazy? Like, once you no, get no, to I know. It's just, it's just, right? So like, like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, like, once it's yeah. just like, how much is it? It's $50 million. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 oh, wait, sorry, it went up. 80 million. Is, is that too much then? I don't know. I don't know. Let me look at my no, pocket. Okay. Oh, I think my... Guys, it's under 100 million. Okay, well, that's fine. It's a, it's even, a sliding scale, even, right? How do you live? How do you live in that? How would you live in it? Like, if you did live in it, if it's not just an investment, yeah. how would you live in it? All like, I th- you just wander in a room and just go, this is fucking stupid. Like, you just go stupid. Yeah. What can you do? You'd have to sit on a couch. That is in no way comfortable because you can't have a comfortable couch in that damn place, right? You can't put your feet up. Oh, you're right. Oh, yeah. If you look at you, if you look at the like, it's, I'm looking at it. It's ruined inside. Like, By the way, in the time we've talked, it's gone to ninety million selling oh. on Realtor.com, and that's weird that it's on Realtor.com <laughs> for ninety million dollars. I've got to get that online. That's an impulse buy for me. Maybe I maybe I. Maybe I misremembered the number, but yeah, it was it's a lot of money. But yeah, but if you look inside it, it's 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 been ruined because they've there's part of it is nice, part of it is still like the old style of it I, I imagine would have had in the when it was originally built. But a lot of that has been sure. pulled out and turned into like this this like modern white, boring Yeah. This blah. It looks like if you've ever seen uh the set of the Adams family but like they shot in black and white, but it was in color. Yeah. But they had all these bizarre colors, you know, and then a lot of white to yeah. to, to, to really highlight the contrast. Yeah. Uh, but in real in reality, you go ugh. But like in black <laughs> and white, like it's the kind of place that if I saw it in black and white, I'd go, "Oh, this looks like a good Turner Classic movie. I'll watch this." <laughs> oh, just waiting for the murder to happen, or you know, the daughter brings a poor man home. <laughs> and you know, the butler's ensues. got a plan to scare him off. So let's see how this goes down. Oh, the butler was his dad. Okay, well, it was all part of a scam. Good job, Turner Classic Movies. They never who's, in the, who's, in, who's in the attic? Oh, Mickey Rooney in blackface. Oh, <laughs> God damn it! Well, this is going to mean a talk at the end. I've been reframed. That's right. You see what we thought at the time was. Okay, Mick. Aren't you dead? Yes, I'm from beyond the grave. <laughs> Don't. That's right. Don't be prejudiced to dead people. Uh, they let me out of limbo to explain myself. <laughs> All right. That's fine, Mick. <laughs> that's good. Oh, Mickey. You're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Hey, oh, Mickey. Mickey. <laughs> 
He was a huge star, goddammit. Show him some respect. He was a big star. Yep. He's kind of he's kind of the male Shelley Winters. Okay, I'll give you that. There's two people who are incredibly talented that you feel kind of blew it, you know. Well, Shelley Winters was not a million miles away. Like whenever I you know, when people are talking about Marilyn Monroe and the tragedy of Marilyn Monroe, mm-hmm. you kind of go, yeah, but if you want to see what Marilyn Monroe would have probably been like later, 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 yeah. it's Shelley Winters. I mean, it's very similar. And nothing wrong with being Shelley Winters. No. Uh, but, you know, Shelley Winters. She was a very good actress, though. But just did, she was. She, did not, she, did not she appreciate came, herself. Yeah, came came across a little bitter later on. Well, she got like what was it? Uh, the old story was she'd go in with like her two Oscars and put them on a table during an audition or something, and just go, oh, "This is my audition." That's all right. She had two Oscars. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Good for her. Yeah, and then she was on Roseanne, so that's good too. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And you know, Pete's Dragon. Yeah, I know, but she was in she's in uh, Lolita, the Stanley Kubrick one. She's in uh, Night of the Hunter, one of the greatest movies ever made. She was nominated for A Place in the Sun. Place in the Sun. She won the so Academy Award for so, Diary of Anne Frank. So good in A Place in the Sun. Yeah, really good in Diary of Anne Frank. And, and A Patch of Blue. I have not seen that one. And she was nominated for The Poseidon Adventure as well. Poseidon Adventure is a little bit more from her, let's call it her blousy period. Yeah. But, you know, still counts as an Oscar. Yep. Nom. Yeah. Still, she was still acting. Acting it up. I can't cross this place. It's full of water. <laughs> She should get an Oscar. Robbie McDowell was in that. Oh yeah, he, yeah. he was in that. That's right. Yeah. Okay, good for good for him. Wasn't he the? Wasn't oh, he the, I saw. I was gonna say, wasn't he the guy that caused the death of that poor waiter? It's been a while. I watched all the disaster movies. That's right. In like you a did. short period of time. You did. Yeah. So I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. All I know, it's one of those movies that you, you know. By the end of it, you go, "That was a lot of people dead." Okay. <laughs> well, it starts off with a lot of people. Well, that, to me, uh, this makes me sound like a ghoul, but to me, the best part of that movie is the beginning, like just the whole boat flipping people over, falling from the ceiling. Yeah, just the boat flipping over and all all the the chaos that results from that. I'm not saying I want to see people dying, but it's just interesting, you know, to see that. Like, it's interesting to see the effects of that that change, you know, that, and what, what happens, you know, like, you know, people trying to hold onto the tables that are bolted down and no, they can't, they can't hold on that long. Oh dear. It's kind of like, yeah, they, I, I feel the same way about zombie movies. I love the part where the zombies arise, but then I'm completely uninterested in anything after that. Hmm. Like it feels like what they did with uh, this, with the side adventure was they did almost a reverse Titanic. Yeah. So you've got like all the big in the scenes in Titanic you know, people are falling and hitting their heads and getting that later and you got it earlier in this and now we're just, now we're getting personal later and you get personal earlier, but then you also get a romance, which you can't really get the romance when, you know, everyone's on fire. Yeah. And, uh, and the leaders, and the guy leading out is a priest, what a killjoy. Oh yeah. Who was the priest? Gene Hackman. There you go. Good for Gene Hackman being a priest. It's been a while since I watched that movie, man. I saw that when I was a kid. Yeah. I wonder if it's worth a rewatch. It isn't. <laughs> it's not, not worth it at all. Why, why yeah, would I even think well, that? Why would I even think that? I see the, um, the whatever was it? I think there was a remake. There, there was a terrible, terrible remake. I That's believe. right. Raise the yeah. Poseidon Adventure. Oh, wait. Yes. There. Wait. No. Okay. Hmm. There was... 
Yeah, there was Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, there was a television special. I'm looking this up now. Television special in 2005. And then there was also the movie Poseidon mm. in 2006. Oh, so that's a drag that they had the two Poseidon Adventure movies like a year apart. Whoops. Okay. Hmm. Well, so what's beyond the Poseidon Adventure? Do they go back to the boat? No, I think that's they get into a lifeboat and the lifeboat turns over. That's the okay. Whole that's the whole movie. No, I don't know what it is. I'm just joking. Uh, okay, the capsized luxury liner, the Poseidon, is still afloat after six survivors have been rescued. Oh, uh, and but then, there's money aboard. Uh, now we're now we're going back in. We're going to see what's go- what's going on. And this is one with uh, Telly Savalas. Ah, is it? Okay, here's oh here's the jeez. Okay, you want to know the cast of uh, Beyond the Poseidon Adventure? They First had, of all, they had some money to throw at it. Yeah, it's 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 directed by Irwin Allen. It's produced okay, by him. So okay. okay, yeah, makes sense. All right, so here we go. We got Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Yep. Michael Michael Caine, which you've got to say, my cocaine, and that's how you say it. <laughs> yep. Um, that is uh, Sally Field, Telly Savalas, okay. Peter Boyle, Peter Boyle, yeah. Jack Warden, Slim Pickens. You, you're get, you're going down the you're going down the list here, but okay, Slim Pickens. Yep. Okay. Yep. Now we got Mark Harmon. Uh, Shirley Jones okay. and Carl Malden. Wow, that's exactly right for that type of movie. <laughs> yes, that is that is exactly who you want. I feel like the Carl Malden character gets he gets the with credit or and and Carl Malden or with Carl, Carl Malden. Okay, so he's not he's so, not top billing, but he's a, he's at with or and near the end of the, the the credits. Now Jack Warden is he Chico and the Man? Is he that guy? Or, or I get a different. I guy. think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, isn't he? Okay. Isn't he? Isn't he the grandpa in Willy, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Oh, okay. Wait. Oh exactly. no, that's Jack Albertson. That's Jack Albertson. Jack Albertson. We're thinking. So yeah. sorry. Yeah. So yeah. sorry, but in fact, he is in a many, many things. He's in. He's in the Bad News Bears. Uh, Jack Warden many, is. Many, oh no! Wait, it's a TV show, The Bad News Bears. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, I was going to say I don't remember in the movie. All right, he's in Being There. He's yeah. in The Great Muppet Caper. Okay. Uh, he's in uh, so many other things. He's so more he's, problem child series. He's kind of the choleric actor, right? He's kind of the guy who's angry all the time. It's Twelve it's, Angry Men. He's one of the angry. He's men one of the angry men. men. I was right. He's one of those kind of. He's one of those actors, red faced. And in, in yeah. this movie, he's blind. There you go. That's what you want. Wow. You want a blind guy. Why do they? Why you want do they, the war veteran that is Peter Boyle? He's a war veteran. Why, That's what you want. Why would you return to a, a up a capsized boat with a blind person? Man, Slim Pickens is called Tex. But right, right in his wheelhouse. I'm looking actually at this and going, I think I've seen this movie. <laughs> I, believe, I believe I remember Tex was holding on to a valuable bottle of wine. That does ring a bell to me. Okay. Do Do you remember why they had a blind person involved in this, or were these different? Were these different survivors who ha- had to go a different route? Yeah, these are different different people. Oh, so these are different survivors. Okay, here we go. So, so all right, here here we are. Uh, so, yeah, six survivors have been rescued by the French Coast Guard. I'm just going to read you just the beginning. Yeah, please do. Yeah, yeah. Then tugboat captain Mike Turner. Michael Kine, Michael Kine spots the rescue helicopter and subsequently yeah. finds the shipwreck. Because he's a, by, he's a scavenger. Yeah. A I mean, he's a salvager. Second mate, yeah. Wilbur, Carl Malden, mm. and passenger, uh, Celeste Whitman, Sally Field. Again, this is this is good. This Why is, is she a passenger in a tugboat? You were right, though. They're going to get salvage rights. Yeah, yeah, salvage rights. But they're followed by Uh-oh. Dr. Stefan Svevo. Svevo? 
Thomas and his crew, who claimed to be uh, Greek Orthodox medics who received the ship's SOS. Uh, I don't think they are, though. Yeah. And uh, and uh, there's also, they, in there they meet the ship's nurse, who is Shirley Jones, huh. who we know as uh, Mrs. Partridge, sure. Partridge family, uh, and two passengers, elegant passengers, Suzanne Constantine, who is uh, Veronica Hamill. That's pretty solid. Ooh. And then, then you get the war veteran, uh, uh, Peter Boyle. Peter Boyle. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know uh, Victoria Hamill? Well, I remember her from TV. I guess she was did some from Hill Street Blues. That's right. She was the the girlfriend of the chief. Yeah, she's Lacey Davenport. Lacey Davenport. <laughs> what a name! That's a good name, huh? It's certainly well evocative. Done. Certainly evocative. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, so yes, I believe I have now that I'm thinking about it. Seen, okay. Uh, beyond the Poseidon Adventure, but I would say to you, sir. Yeah. yeah see it. What the heck? I'm going to wait for the sequel, Beyond the Valley of the Poseidon Adventure. Okay, so that was written by Robert Roger Ebert. Uh, written by Roger Ebert, directed by Russ Myers. Uh, it's it's a bunch of women who go to the ship because they they all have inflatable devices on their yep. chests. <laughs> yeah, they, they're the safest. Uh, yeah, natural. There you go, everybody. Huh? Only I enjoyed that joke. But that's two fine. Two guys doing a podcast. Two guys doing a podcast. Yep. That's 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 what we are. You gotta find your fun where you can, Ian. Yeah, look, man. We're living in terrible times. It's a pandemic. Yeah. None of this counts. That's right. None we, of this counts. We agreed that it was a terrible time, and there was t- things were yeah. changing. I'm changing them. I'm going to yeah, go. I'm making you, jokes like that. Crazy. I'm not judging <laughs> you, man. I'm not judging you on any of this stuff. I think we've been canceled three times so far. <laughs> You're only canceled. Know? You know what? You can only cancel yourself, sir. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. I, I like if there's pitchforks and torches at the door. Yeah. I don't. I, you know, I'm not answering the door anyway. So how would I know? Exactly. This is, this is I think, the problem that your Frankenstein's, Doctor Frankenstein's, yeah, had, yeah, is like don't don't answer the door, you tool. Yeah, they were just too. They were too uh, too conscious of like the villagers' of opinions of them. Yeah. If he had you're, just like put his head down and worked and just forgot about what the scuttlebutt was in the the neighborhood, yeah, it would have been fine. He's in a castle. Yeah. He's in a castle. A fucking castle. That's right. Yeah. They're peasants. They got a pitchfork. Yeah. What oh, are, what are they going to do? What are, they yeah. Set what? The stone on fire? <laughs> yeah. Stone exactly. don't burn. <laughs> That's why we made it with stone. Yeah. And should it come down to it, I do have a monster. Exactly. He needs a wealthy, wealthy doctor. Invest in a moat. Oh boy, a nice moat. Huh, That'd not? be good. But no. Yeah. You know what they? Know. You know what they say? Moat money, moat problems. <laughs> Look, that's right. Problem, Those are the kind of jokes you're going to get. We should end the podcast there. <laughs> and we should do our next podcast that. We should just call it Moat Money Moat <laughs> Absolutely. That'll, that'll, be our, that'll be our Frankenstein podcast. I am very curious right now. Yeah. I, just, I was just thinking, who starred in the Poseidon movie in 2006? Because they have to. Oh, the, have to the, rock, it. the Rock. Well, 2006, do you think? I think he was too big a star then. I think he was already getting into movies and stuff. They probably wouldn't get him. Oh, it was that a TV? I thought the Poseidon. Or so, oh, I, th- I thought you were talking oh, about the movie. Do you want the TV version or do you want the movie I was, version? I thought we were talking about the movie version. I'm sorry. That's why I guessed yeah, the, the Rock. Movie. Yeah, we're going the movie version. So, um, yeah, it is a movie version. But, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Rock. Yeah. No, it doesn't have The Rock in it. <laughs> okay. Listen, we got, we got a good actor there. We got Andre uh, Brogner. From uh, Homicide and uh, oh, yeah. Brooklyn Nine Nine, yeah. solid, 
He's great. Yeah, but that's, um, he's not okay, a here. he's not a marquee name. No, but he's the scenery chewing kind of guy who can like sure, act his way sure. out of stuff. He's so your he's, he's your a uh, similar actor in Alien Three doing doing that kind of role. Sure, you know who, you, you know what I mean. The glasses were in. Yeah, dude. Yeah, no, that all makes that all makes sense. There really there really isn't uh, too too many. Uh, oh, but there are two that you go. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Okay. One Richard yeah. Dreyfus. All right. That's who yeah. you want. Yeah. One Richard Dreyfus. Sure. Good sure. going there. And the lead is uh, Kurt Russell. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he can I'm all do about that. I'm all about the Kurt Russell for that. That sounds uh, that sounds really good. And uh, you know what I, uh, you know what I heard about that movie? No, please. He didn't audition for that role. <laughs> offered it. No, he didn't. There you are. Read the okay. script. Said, Look, Poseidon Adventure. Poseidon Adventure, the TV show though. Yeah. TV show movie. We got ourselves as the lead. Oh, this is this is your mistake uh, off the get. Uh, it's Bronson Pinchot. Pinchot is the. Uh, You're not a million miles away. Way because we got Steve Gutenberg there. Oh, um, okay, that's not a good thing. And, uh, and bless his heart, the late Rutger Hauer is in there. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. He could, he could do you something. Little, I'm going to give you a little Peter Weller. That's nice. Yeah, Peter Weller. You yeah. know, he's ah, for that kind of. Thing. He's a little. He's not a very emotive actor, so I, I kind of, I'm kind of questioning that choice there. Okay, how do you feel about if I give you a C. Thomas Howell? Will that be okay? Sure. Well, he and Rutger Hauer. It's a hitcher reunion here. All right, so we're so we're good with that. Uh, I like good that. I like that. I like that kind of pairing where I could, it brings out my nerd, my nerdness inside me. Now here's where here's where we're gonna lose you, unfortunately, uh, is the lead. Yeah, uh, we're gonna get we're gonna get. Oh, this is I don't even like saying it. Yeah, uh, it's a, you're getting an Adam Baldwin. Huh? Yeah, that's that's probably the worst Baldwin you could get. That's a bit of a flat. That's a bit of a flat pancake right there. Yeah, I'm gonna throw in an Alex Kingston. She's nice. Uh, you know, she can do the British character thing. She's fine. Sure, but uh, is she but, like is she an action star? No. Is she what? Is she an action star? No. Well, who, who's I mean, bringing the action here? Daleks. What's that? Sorry, she's, what? She's, she's fought Daleks. She's not fought Daleks. Like she's River Song. She yeah. just she just does a lot. Of, she just talks and leaves again. Uh, okay. When has she fought Daleks? In the Doctor Who, she's fought the Daleks. The Daleks show up. She's been in a million Doctor Who's. The Daleks never showed up. I don't remember that one, but if you say okay, so. Okay, she fought um, those uh, astronauts that uh, were skeletons in the yeah, library. Yeah, in the library. Yeah. yeah. But she didn't, did she fight them, or did she, didn't she? did the doctor fight them, and she just was there? Look, I don't watch the show. I'm not a nerd, Dave. <laughs> you watch the show. You liar. Okay, she played Mrs. Bennett in, uh, in, a, in a, a show called Lost in Austin, yeah. which is based on Pride and Prejudice. I've seen it. So Mrs. Bennett does a lot of action fighting. Well, you got me there. Yeah, all right. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad. You got me I'm there. I'm glad that we're not fighting anymore. <laughs> also, in Arrow, she's a, a black canary's mom. So there. The, sure. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, you know, she's Mother Canary. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, could, she's, could she, know, she big, could, big bird. She can also sing in a piercing, piercing uh, cry. Sure, I guess so. Like she must get it from someone. So yeah, I'm their mom. Why not? <laughs> I think you're. What the hell is this? Sounds like in Austin. Austin. Lost in Austin. It's a. It's about a woman who dreams of living the life of Jane Austen, and so she goes to a. Oh no! I get maybe getting mixed up. Uh, 
the, sorry, that's Austin land. No, Lost in Austin is where a woman from the present goes back into the past and gets entangled in the uh, Pride and Prejudice story. Ah. Because everyone knows it's a historical novel with, with real people in it. <laughs> Ding dongs. It's okay. And, and, uh, if, if you like, okay. if you love Jane Austen, then you will watch Lost in Austin. You will watch Austin Land. You will watch the Did Jane you? Austen Book Club. And you'll be like, that's pretty good. It's a pre- pretty good movie. Let's be your reaction. <laughs> Not bad. Your voice is very high. Your voice is very high because you just got to try to convince yourself that, yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, I'm, you know, I liked it. Yeah, it was pretty good. You know what I watched that was good, which I watched, yeah. I watched a while ago. And I liked it a lot, and, and so then I, I put it on, and, and Eve was very keen to watch it. So then I was like, okay, well, we're going to watch this, and which was Everybody Wants Some, exclamation point, exclamation point, the Richard Linklater film, which he hadn't seen before. Oh. And I was like, oh, this is a bit of a romantic comedy, dear, and you might enjoy it. And so she was watching with me, and she was really laughing a lot. So it made it fun for me to watch, cause, uh, because it's just fun to watch a movie that you like with someone else. Well, what's, it, what's it about? It is about a young man who is arriving for his first day at a, a university, which I take to be in t- somewhere in Texas because it's a Richard, Li- Richard Linklater film. And a movie starts three days before school begins. And so it gives you like a little timeline in the corner of the screen at odd points in the film. And he comes, he's there on a baseball scholarship. He arrives at his, it, they're staying in kind of like a, a house, like a fraternity house, because there's the they explain it later on that the because of the the school they've been able to like finagle these two houses to to house part of the baseball team just because of space limitations and so like they have all, you know they have all these rules supposed to follow which they all of course break but then he like he meets all the the guys at this fraternity like all the other players and stuff like that and and the movie is just them like you know so where's your Linklater film so there's a bunch of guys talking walking around they go to a nightclub they go to this club called sound machine and then they they dance they disco dance there and they pick up some girls and bring them back to the house and do some they have some good good little bits about that and then then they have uh then he meets this girl played by uh zoe deutsch do you know that actress yes she's very good she's also very good in this movie and uh it's got and i think i brought it up a little while ago because we were talking about wyatt russell and he's in the movie as well he plays a a pitcher on the team. There's the the lead, the lead character. It's it's very much an ensemble, but there is sort of a lead like a character who's introduced at the beginning that you kind of feel this is the story of, and he kind of he kind of has the the arc of the story. But but everyone else, all the other actors, kind of get some nice juicy bits too as well as well because there's lots of characters in it. You know, there's the country bumpkin, this uh, kind of arrogant idiot from Detroit. There's the super alpha 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 male super jock played by Tyler Hecklin. Um, who's just like, <laughs> it's just, it's just great. It's just a fun film. It's, it's kind of, it's things that I find fascinating, which is, um, male interactions. I find these things fascinating just because I wasn't really a guy's guy when I was growing up. I know it's hard to believe, you know, as a book reading, comic book loving, you know, uh, music aficionado. For some reason, I just didn't fit into the guys' guys world, but I was always on the periphery of it and I was never like excluded from it. I just didn't, I just didn't fit it. You know what I mean? Yeah, they were they they thought they you know I was sort of a mascot to people who wanted to be, uh you know who really were part of it you know but I could never but I'd never fit in either personality type or or athletic skill into that group as much as I wanted to and um and so I, I find it fascinating I find like that whole jock mentality really fascinating and I find uh and I find like that the and this with the movie the movie is a lot about that there is a part where where the main character he 
likes Zoe Deutsch's character and they become like kind of an item and spend time together. And she's from a different world than him. She's from a, she's from an artistic, she went to like a, you know, like a school of visual arts kind of thing, you know, or a performing arts school where she did musical theater and, and stuff like that. And, and uh, so that's her, her world. And his world is from a different place. He's like this, you know, super, really, really, really good pitcher, you know, like, cause that's the thing, like all these kids as they keep pointing out during the movie, which is that they're like the best of the best, you know, who've come to this school to compete on this team, you know? And so, and so it's that thing of like, you know, here's this kid coming from wherever he was from. He was the very best of anyone he knew at playing baseball. Okay. And now he's at the school where he is no longer the very best. He's just one of a bunch of other guys who are the very best, you know, and now you've got to up your competition level to, to meet that. But what's interesting about the film is they never play baseball in the movie. Like there's no, no baseball game ever played. Huh. It, the movie ends on the uh, the uh, on the beginning of the school day, the first day of school, and you see them do one practice. The, the the guys have one practice, and and I just yeah, and that's and that's uh yeah, it's 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 really it's it's a it's a good movie. I I would recommend it to to people if it, if you enjoy Richard Linklater films, which I do, and I think he's he's one of those directors where if you read their when you read their filmography, you're like, oh, he did that. Oh, interesting. He did school for scoundrels. Hmm. It's a weird it feels weird that he would school school of rock as well. Okay. Yeah, that I guess that all the school movies, yeah. Yeah, he does all school movies, yeah. You know, yeah, days, uh, days to confuse high school. <laughs> you know, days to confuse, it's about high school, I guess. And and everybody wants some is about college. Yeah, any school movie. But he also did like a scanner darkly, you know. He did all the before sunrise, before sunset movies with uh, Julia Delphi and uh, Ethan Hawk. Did Boyhood, which is a movie I really like a lot. I know a lot of people don't like it, but I think it's really good. Um, yeah, I just find him an interesting director. I mean, I, I love Slacker when I saw it. I don't want to watch it again, because I think I would find it boring now, but I think at the time I just thought it was fascinating. You know? And it, it felt like I was watching people that I knew of that time period, you know? Mm-hmm. In that movie. And that was very, it was very interesting. And yeah, I think again, he's, I, I think he's had a, a curious kind of career. No, it is too. I, I you know, and again, Boyhood is a is a is is very very interesting movie. It's a very yeah, it's fascinating that they did that. Like it's, wow, it's fascinating they did that, and it's also such a small movie. It's such a big yeah. concept, but it, as a movie, it's very small. Because Richard Linklater doesn't really do big movies. He likes he likes the yeah he likes the small moments, which which is something that Eve commented on in this movie. She just said, "Man, this movie is just all small moments." You know, it's all just people talking and having little life-changing moments, but they're all they're all low-key life-changing moments. So just someone saying something to you, and you're going like, "Oh yeah," you know, like like uh, the main character and and Zoe Deutsch talking. I can't remember the guy's name. It's like something Jenner, but um, they're uh, they're talking and and they they're talking about their respective things they do, and then they realize, oh. They're exactly the same in this way about focus and how you have to like lose yourself in the moment of performance. You know, whether you're a pitcher or a dancer or whatever, you have to like, you know, you just have to block out everything else around you and just be who you are in that moment and not worry about anything else. You know, and when you find that moment of being locked into this, you know, who you are and what you're doing, you know, that's that's the magic time as, as you know for a pitcher or for a for an athlete or for a performer you know and it's just and just that moment where they both have this realization like oh wow we are <laughs> something that we both thought of ourselves as so different from each other we have this understanding you know and it's really like a nice little cool moment you know and it's just it's just conversational it's not like you know a fight or whatever it's just them you know 
uh, in a swimming hole, you know, floating in inner tubes talking, you know, like, so, yeah. you know, it's just like these nice small moments, but, and there, but there's lots of like good laughs in the film and, and uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I recommend I it. Be, there's yeah, one, uh, there's one scene in it that I, I, we're talking about movies that you have to reframe. And there's one, one moment in the, at the beginning of the movie um, that if I was, if I could like, you know, redub the film, I would take out one one word out of the entire movie, which I I just think I know that it's I know that it's period correct. Yeah. The term. And I know it's not it's not meant as a it's not meant as a derogatory to anyone in particular. It's just a word that people call each other in those days. And I just don't think that you need to use that word in, in a in a movie that's made now. But uh I understand the you know the motivation to have like this little you know realistic moment of like how people t- spoke spoken and, and mostly this film is everyone's like really nice you know like you expect a movie with a bunch of jocks you know they're going to be like jerks to everyone they meet which isn't necessarily the case they're ultra competitive sure but they're not like mean you know like like the like the the black player on the team and there's just a black player on the team because that's the time period it's 19 it's 1980 mm-hmm. um you know he's one of the guys he's a he's just like them he's a baseball player he's he is a teammate he's like you know there's nothing nothing to separate him from us you know and everyone else reacts to him the same way there's no there's no feel you know this the movie doesn't make anything of that you know what i mean which i kind of like i like the idea that yeah this that's how even if it's not that's how it should be so let's just let's just let's normalize that that, that is something you can do yeah in a movie is make the world that you want yeah. to be rather than the world it is well, some, you already have that well i was thinking about this a while ago and i was just thinking like sometimes we want to tell the stories of like how how bad it is or how bad it can be but also you want to like create you want to create something that normalizes behavior as well and if you just make movies where everyone's racists then you normalize racism in movies and in people's mm-hmm. minds. That's mm-hmm. how you react to these in these situations. Now, so if you make it a movie where people are kind to each other and open to different people and and make a point of of just getting along and just being who we are and you know who we are as a workmate or a teammate or whatever, then that's because that's more the reality than you know and. And so I just feel like when you do that, then you normalize that in people's minds. And then, you know, then people's reaction isn't, oh, I'm white. I have to react to black people like this. You know, it's, hey, there's a guy just walking down the street. He's like me. <laughs> I know that person. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's how it should be, you know? Like, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I just think that, I, I, I think media has more effect on people's behavior not i mean i don't think it has total effect but i think it can it can have it can have a, a, effects i don't think i don't believe like people become sh- shooters because they play uh video games and stuff like that but i i do think that media can i do think that those sort of media though can that can create confusion maybe moral you know like you know what i mean or set, set a tone yeah set a, yeah mm-hmm. set a tone that's a good way to put it yeah yeah you know if i uh, i i don't want to okay it's like I, <laughs> Just imagining, like, just always having in the background of your life, like, really uh, suspenseful music playing might make you tense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, I was listening to some modern classical music one day (laughs) on my on my headphones. Um, I just uh, on just some Bandcamp Bandcamp mix of uh, 
modern classical music. You know, a lot of it's like this atonal, you know, I was walking downstairs into the dark basement and I was like, man, like this is good, scary music to be walking into a dark base- basement to. <laughs> this is funny. I'm not really that scared of the dark. So I wasn't like getting, getting scared, but I think Eve would have not enjoyed it because she does not like the dark at all. No, I'm not a, I'm not a fan, but that's because again, hallucinated as a kid. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. I was just going to say with Richard uh, Linkletter. Sure. Uh, I, I liked before sunrise quite a bit. Yeah. Um, when I, when I saw it and I saw sure. it at uh, uh, Royal city, it was the right kind of theater to see that kind of movie. Wasn't Royal, it's not Royal, not Royal City. You were talking about the one underneath the Hyatt. No, I'm talking about, well, I am talking about the one that was like underneath the Royal Bank. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was, um, that doesn't matter. Anyway. It, it's gone now. Royal it's Towers. Now. Royal let's, Towers. Let's, let's say this. But it had, um, it had uh, uh, Ethan Hawke in it. Yep. Uh, as, as, you know, he was in uh, the, uh, what was the, what was the, uh, Hyper nineties uh, movie with Ben Affleck and uh, and Gene Garofalo. Oh, not, and, oh, uh, not Ben Affleck, uh, Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller and uh, Gene Garofalo. I was so busy trying to think of Gene Garofalo. And Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder, and it's called. I, you know what? I never saw that movie. It's okay. It's it's all right. It's an okay film. Anyway, it, it, he was very verbose in that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Uh, and it was one of these when I when I saw when I saw this movie, I liked it because like I was at the right spot in the nineties where I liked a very verbose movie. Yeah, yeah. And Richard Linkletter was the kind of guy who would give you like, <laughs> yes. a verbose movie to the point where he was such an influence on Kevin Smith that then you got like you would get like a Ben Affleck in the Chasing Amy doing like just so verbose, it just gets ridiculous. <laughs> and when I turn on a movie and I see someone being so, oh my God, like a hundred words where two will do, I'm like, this is a 90s movie, all right. And I always like trace that back to Richard uh, Linklater. And I, I really did like that film quite a bit. I like Before Sunrise. Yeah. And then I watched Before Sunset. Yeah. And then, by the time I got to Before Midnight, he was still <laughs> verbose in it. And it was like, shut the fuck up. Just shut the fuck up. Like, it just bothered me that a guy who, you know, this character 20 years later was still the same. Yeah. You know, I know that they were showing that he had grown and changed in many ways. But he was still the, I've got to say, absolutely everything on my mind, plus more dialogue, plus more dialogue, plus more dialogue. And I think, like, and I'm saying this as someone who is doing a three hour podcast right now. So I get that I'm a fucking hypocrite. <laughs> yes, you, you know, are. You don't, you don't talk as much later on in life. Like you get, it sums up, it mm-hmm. concentrates, it, you know, it, 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 it concentrates. So you don't have to, you know, be talking continually. Oh, I, I would, I'll, I'll agree with you to a degree, but I do think that there are, we do develop habits with people. And okay. so this is his third time with, with, with Julia. <laughs> Uh, Julia Delphi's character, and that is their thing. When they get together, they talk, you know. And so, you know, he, in the rest of his life, he, you know, if his if he was married, like I have not seen seen him before, minute, but but um, if his wife was there, she would be like so mad because he's talking so much to this woman, yeah, and he doesn't speak that much to her. But that's there's that's a different person, right? Like the Julia Delphi character, he met when he was younger, and he just talked her ear off, you yeah, know? and then. He meets her again, and he talks her ear off, you know. And then this time he meets her, he's still going to talk her ear off because that is their that is their um, 
interaction with each other. That's what that's that's what it is, you know. So yeah, it, it, I mean, it feels like with the first one, he's he's a young person who is like trying to find who they are, and so you say as much as possible in the hopes that you will discover the thing that you really believe in all the things that you say, and quite frankly. Even though you might believe the things that you say as you say them, you probably don't believe all of them because you just say so much because <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're young and you just say all this stuff. Yeah. As things progress, you figure yourself out. I mean, you don't totally figure yourself out. No one ever figures himself out completely. But, like, you figure yourself out more, it feels like. And then, yeah, it, the conversations get a little, you know, get different. And it felt, yeah, it felt to me like, oh, it's just, it's kind of the same. He's doing the same thing. It's like, oh, that's too bad. He hasn't grown at all. That's too bad. Okay. And I know, I know the dialogue is supposed to show that he has grown and the things that he's done have shown that he has changed in yeah. some ways good, some ways bad. But yeah, it's like, oh, that's too bad. Um, so did not care for the third one, though a lot of people love it. They uh, love it. I have not seen it. I'll have to give it a watch. Um, yeah. Uh, I just feel I just feel like like if you knew a person and they were kind of your mentor and you deferred to them and even if in your even if you're in reality like later on in your life you surpassed them in 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 ways and you were you were their equal or, or their better when you next met that person you would still defer to them as if they were your mentor because you once you establish a relationship with a person it's hard to change that that the the dynamics of that relationship but I've not seen the movie. I don't. I don't want to defend a movie I have not seen. I, I'm not. I'm not going to say that every Richard Linklater film is perfect. School for Scoundrels, but you know, if you, I think amongst his films, many films, there's a definitely some some uh, diamonds in there, and one of those would I would say is for sure a Scanner Darkly. Okay. Yeah. No. I really. And uh, what was the Waking Life? Was that his as well? Yep. That's right. Yeah. Waking yeah, Life. I like Waking Life. Kind of a, con- a continuation of Slacker in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I found it. I found it very off-putting as well, but in an okay way that I was. Uh, I was like, oh no, this is worth it, even though. Ugh, huh. I don't, yeah. uh, look, there's no and there's no excuse for what I'm going to recommend right now. There's no excuse. All right, I'm not going to excuse myself. Okay. You take this. You take this and you leave this. Yeah, I will. Yep. Okay, sure. How, da- how dare you judge me? I'm um, already judging so, you. So yeah, you should. Yeah, uh, right, rightfully so. To me, here's the thing about this movie that I'm going to say when I was saying. Well, you tell, tell us the, you're not gonna tell us the movie no no because i'm gonna set it up okay uh you concentrate your your words yeah. as you get older yeah and so they have more impact and you have you know you know less spread out um this movie knows that you know what you're going to see this movie goes yeah yeah we get it and it's basically like drinking concentrated orange juice that you don't put enough water into okay you just go like, it's just, you know it, we know it, everybody knows it, let's just, let's just do it. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a movie called Cold Pursuit with Liam Neeson. <laughs> and you see a Liam Neeson movie. I, I have not seen it. I just love, I just love that there was that buildup. Yeah. That massive buildup. Because you see, because listen, I've watched quite a few Liam Neeson movies on Netflix, and there's quite a bit of this. It's just like he's on a train, but we've got to set up all the thing, and he's talking to his wife, yeah. and there's all this. And what's he care about? He likes this book, and he likes it. Fuck it, fuck it. It's fuck it. We don't care. We don't care. <laughs> what's the deal with his son? Mm-hmm. Ah, he, he got killed. The son got killed. Oh, he's murdered. How's he? How, and then he, 
goes on a killing spree. Of course he does. He's Liam Neeson. That's what we want. That's all we want. Let's see him go on a killing spree. And he does. Uh, after, first of all, like his first choice is he just like puts a gun in his mouth and is going to blow his brains out. And then he sees like uh, his, his uh, son's bloodied friend who comes out and goes, no, son was murdered. He's like, oh, murdered. Okay, go take care of that. And he's like a <laughs> snowplow driver. Okay. Which is all building up to a snowplow gag that comes later, which sure, is pretty good. Sure, sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so he goes, and like, it's, like immediately you think like, oh, it's going to, it's going to take a while till we're getting to dead, dead, kills this guy, brutally kills this guy. And then the guy's name comes up on the screen and like every one of these guys, cause they're in the, the equivalent of the mob has a, has like a, a nickname. So it's their nickname plus whatever they believe in religiously. So the, you know, the Christians have like a. Uh, cross and Jewish people have a star David, you know, First Nations people have a symbol that's there. It's like, okay. And and as he goes through killing all these people, he's just ranking up all the people that he's killing. We see their title cards come up and it's a nice beat. And then the next thing you see, he's wrapped them all up and he's throwing them over a waterfall. It's like, oh, okay. And then on to the next one. Wow. It's like, oh, you got to go get the Santa. And this guy is the Iceman. And this guy's you know, wings, and this guy's the Eskimo, and, and uh, this guy, you know, and, and just goes from person to person, and uh, it's uh, it's it's just like, yeah, you're just shocked continuously that they just keep just going for it, huh. and they're always like one beat ahead of you, just to the point where you go, well, obviously he's going to, oh, it's he did it, eh? Okay, stop. <laughs> oh, jeez, yikes. Okay, I'm moving on. Gets a little repetitive. Broke it up into two two <laughs> things, but I enjoyed it. Well, you know, you're stuck in a house. Yeah, and I like that the villain is really concerned about his son's eating habits. So he's like really worried about his getting too much uh, kid getting too much fructose <laughs> and and stuff. And you know, doesn't you know? It's very upset at you know if someone gives his kid like a snack or something. It's like a really big deal to him. He's like, he just wants his kid to be smart and eat well. <laughs> and yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. So uh, that's free on your Netflix if you want to see it. Cool. I'll have to check it out. I, I, well, I'm going to recommend a Liam Neeson, Liam, Liam Neeson film then. Because this, okay. this is my favorite Liam Neeson film that I've seen uh, that is not does, Husbands does, and Wives. So Does he play Jesus? He does not play Jesus. Okay. He played Jesus in his first movie. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This is this is not Husbands. My favorite film with him in it would probably be Husbands and Wives. But I wouldn't consider that a Liam Neeson film. I didn't know film. he was in Husbands and Wives. Yes, he's uh, he's in that brilliant scene when uh, he's supposed to go on a date with Judy Davis. Yeah, and she gets a call from her husband, and she's like fighting with him on the phone, and Liam Neeson's just standing there awkwardly while she's just raging into the phone. Oh my god, it's a great sequence. So so good. Okay, then. He was a young man at that time, but uh, yeah. So and by the way, Dave, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. thank you once again yep. for slipping Woody Allen into our podcast. <laughs> well okay, okay, continue. <laughs> <laughs> that's our guarantee every week we're getting in there <laughs> why not so then uh, so um, is A Walk Among the Tombstones uh, if people haven't seen that movie I think it's very very good film oh yeah yeah and it has a fantastic performance by David Harbour who people will know as the sheriff from Stranger Things but he plays a wonderful role as a as a complete a sociopath in uh, Walk Among the Tombstones and he is and I didn't know him. He hadn't done Stranger Things when I saw Walk Among the Tombstone. So that was probably my first exposure to David Harbour, where I would like, you know, where he, where he had like a kind of part, a part that stood out to me. And he's just so so good in it. So good in it. It's unbelievable. 
Uh, yeah, it's a good movie. I recommend it. I'm trying to think of the one that he did. Oh, The Commuter. That was the one where he was on the train. Yep, that, train was yeah, that was fine. That was fine. And Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah, it's good. I've not, not yeah. seen that movie, but there's another free one for you on Netflix. I've not watched that one though. There you, there you. I are. need to do it. I need to do. It. There's just a few. Uh, the problem for me is, you know, I have very limited TV viewing time right now, and I I like to watch shows with Lisa, and so I, I kind of have to abide by her her interests more than mine. So so um, you know, she doesn't like westerns. She doesn't like horror movies. So there's a there's a, you know movies that I just not seeing right now. So. That is, that is okay. I'm wondering if he's going to be in the new um, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, TV show. I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Yeah, it'd be kind of neat to see him in that. Wait, yeah, just where does it, does it take place? So wait, so does this take place, oh, as a ghost, you mean? Yeah, because they set up, like, the very last thing you get with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and the prequels is, it's just like, oh, I'm Kwai John Gin, or whatever, Kwai John, whatever his name is. Yeah. Uh, Jin. I'm not going, uh, I'm not going there, you go there. <laughs> Basically, he's found a way to come back from yeah. the dead to talk. Basically, you can they go like he's the Force Ghost. He's in the cave. If you want to go talk to him, go have a, a yip yap. And yeah, so it's uh, it's probably gonna have a, a yip yap. Yeah, I I would say I'll uh, I'll bring up the Woody Allen. You can try and pronounce Qui Gon Jinn's name. And uh, and once again, he played Jesus Christ in Pilgrim's Progress, his very first movie. Okay. So I saw him in another film where he was a young a young man, but I can't remember what movie that was now. Was it Excalibur? No. Was he in Excalibur? Was he was in Excalibur as Gawain. Ah. I saw the movie yeah. at the Columbia on Columbia Street in, in New Westminster, and I did not like it at all. I saw it uh, on VHS with my parents, and it was awkward. I'll say. Because there was lots of nice nudity in there. Did you say... How come he's not crushing that woman while making love with her, love to her wearing a full suit of armor? And then my dad went, I'll show you how that's done. <laughs> I know. It's a good upper arm strength, son. All right. Were you thinking um, Delta Force? Nope. He was in the Delta Force. Uh, were you thinking uh, Krull? Krull? Yeah. Well, he did see Krull, but that's not the movie that, uh, that uh, I was thinking of. Krull. Okay. That's right. Well, he is incredible. I'm not, I'm not he was in the Deadpool. That's the, the movie. There you go. Yeah. Because oh, that reminds me. I should. I, that's a. Well, thank you for the segue because I wanted to let people know that a, a new issue, a new issue, a new um, episode yeah, of episode? a new episode of the Dirty Harry Minute is out with me talking with uh, two time question and answer show winner Jonathan Bampton about his. <laughs> Uh, he's the host of a Dirty Harry Minute, and I went on with another very nice person whose name is Brian, but I don't—I can't remember his last name. I, maybe I should have looked it up before I did the show, right? I should have taken that time. But you know what? Mere, mere seconds before I contacted Ian on Skype, I put the last dot on on my uh, notes for 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 Dark Shadows for this week, so I didn't have I didn't have time to look up his name. But anyway, no. his name was Brian. And he was very nice. He's he's an ex-marine, so he has a kind of his own his own outlook on on the Dirty Harry stories. And so, yeah, we decided and we talked about the Deadpool, the very, the final installment of the Dirty Harry series, which, of course, featured Jim Carrey in a, a notable uh, moment in the movie. And then uh, Liam Neeson. Doing Welcome to the Jungle. Yes, that's right. And Liam Neeson uh, um, with a terrible ponytail. <laughs> and yeah, so uh, give it a listen. I recommend it. I was hilarious through the whole show. I was probably the I was probably the high point of the show, to be honest with you. Well, you always are. Let's let's be honest. Yeah, 
Yeah. You are slumming on this ship, for sure. <laughs> sure. Sure I am. Uh, yeah, I know. It was, it was fun. We had, I had a lot of fun. And, now, uh, now jo- look. And Jonathan, I, I, I Jonathan likes to make me work hard, so that's that's also. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing uh, I'm doing a podcast I can't name, uh, but it's not one that I've done before. Uh, okay. With uh, with Third Dragon Nina Matsumoto. Cool. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I can't say it yet because we haven't done it yet. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we'll do it, and then I'll tell you what it is. All right. I will be. Uh, I'll be on tenderhooks till I find out. Yeah. Okay. Or just be on Tinder. Either way is fine. <laughs> now I, I I realize. Yeah. I can like I get that I'm hosting this episode. Yeah. And as a host, I've got to take a hint, and I get I get it. So I get that you subtly mentioned dark shadows. I get it. I got the I got the message. Yeah. I felt you winking through the uh, the, yes. the Wi-Fi. Yeah. Um, now those. Are I have who, I have finger symbols on my eye eye eyebrow, or eyelashes. So. so. Yes, you do. Uh, I wink. Those of you who maybe not have listened recently or are new to the show, uh, David has been um, uh, uh, watching Tubi, the uh, streaming service, and on said Tubi mm. is a, an old sitcom, a sitcom, sorry, soap opera <laughs> called Dark Shadows. Now you might be going, "Oh, that sounds like Edge of Night. That sounds like Guiding Light. That sounds like uh, soap." No, it's not like any of those things. Here's why it's different than all those other soap operas I mentioned. Yeah. One was a sitcom. Um, is that uh, there's a vampire. Yeah. And you go, oh, that throws the mix. Yeah. Uh, that makes things very different. Sure. And it's like, yes, indeed. Indeed it does. <laughs> um, and like, do I have to watch all of them? No, no, you don't. All, Dave will watch them for you. And he will tell you about yeah. uh, the episodes he's watched. Then when you go back to work after the pandemic's over, you can stand around the water cooler with your mates yeah. and go, you know, you ever heard of Dark Shadows? And they'll go, no, tell us about it. And then you can tell them what happened over Dark Shadows. And so this is what uh, Dave does every week here now. Uh, we call it uh, Dark Shadows. And, um, and uh, you know, some people are enjoying it. So let's see if you're one of them. Dave? Yes? What happened on Dark Shadows this time around? All right. Well, if you remember last episode... Adam, you had nothing last episode, right? No, I did. I did a whole, I did a oh. big, I did a real long one last time because I didn't was do the, one the one before. It, you know, all weeks are blending in. I know. Uh, to one, I, one I am. Fi- I'm. Uh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. They're blending. Right, they're blending for me. They're blending for me. Okay, I'm not worrying about it. Then. No, no, you sound like you're worried. I'm a little worried about it. What Sorry. I'm, what, yeah. I, what I'm telling you is, don't worry about it. You know what? I'm not going to worry about it though. Okay, don't worry about it. Worry all about right, it. I'm not going to worry about it. This is this is going to be a shorter one this week because I. Uh, this was a listening party week for me, so I had to. Okay. Do, I had what, to do, what is, by the way, what is listening party? Let us know. What? When is listening party? What is listening? Oh, party? what is listening party? Well, listening party is a podcast I do with my daughter Mary, where we listen and discuss. We listen to music and talk about the music and talk about the history of music. And uh, we had a, our newest episode came out on Thursday, episode sixty three, and you can go and listen to that. We finished off. Um, uh, I don't think he's a Sneaky Dragon listener, but he was a fan of Completely Beatles. And so he sent in a couple of CDRs for me to turn into mixtapes for him. A fellow named Nick Owen. And uh, okay. I just we finished off. He sent me two CDRs, and we did, so I did two mixtapes for him. And we just finished off the most uh, the that one. And so, you know what? I think we only have three mixtapes left to go. So uh, Oh, wow. We're heading near the end of the show now. Uh, wait, are you going to wrap up uh, listening party then at the, you know, when the, the, that's done? Well... 
I don't know. I haven't really thought about it too much. I don't know what to do after that. That was a problem. Okay. <laughs> because okay. Uh, I just, I, I don't know if I have the time to um, put together a mixtape every two weeks, plus do all the research for it. That sounds like a lot of work. Understood. Of work. I'm already doing all this Dork Shadow stuff. Jeez. Okay, yeah, just ask him. <laughs> you know we'll what? See. We'll I'm going to get back to worrying about it again. And, I'm worried about it. And, and Mary, Mary wants to start her own podcast with me, so uh, we might. Okay. We'll see. We'll see what. We'll see what we see. We'll see what we see. I know there's people who enjoy it. I know people enjoy it. You know, we probably have about a tenth of the listenership of this show, listening to the listening party. So sometimes you're like, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Anyway, um, let's not talk about that right now. Let's just let's just let's just be happy. Let's be happy in the what moment. We're asking, what we're asking you is get ten friends and listen together. <laughs> what? Uh, be happy now. We don't have to worry about the future. Oh, well, let me just say this about listening party. Yeah, you might say that, but like, boy, you, you get uh, you get the letters. You get the letters, and you get like the you, when people listen to the show, they listen to the show. Oh, I they have opinions. Oh yeah, no, I love I love strong opinions. I love doing the show. I just I just don't know where to go when we run out of mixtapes. <laughs> I understand. Because, uh, th- I mean, I have been thinking about it because what I've been doing lately uh, on some of the, the more recent shows is finding an artist that I like a lot that I think maybe people don't know that much about or maybe don't know the whole story. And so then I'll like kind of oh, tell yeah. the, tell the st- tell about that person through through their songs. And so th- gotcha. this episode, I, we talked about, we had a song by The Left Bank who did Walk Away Renee, which is, I think, a pretty famous song. Yeah, but I didn't choose that song, of course, for mixed up. I chose a more obscure song that I, I like. I like a lot from the, their first album. But then I talked about like the history of the uh, songwriter um, for the band, this guy named Michael Brown, who who was you know very young when when the Left Bank started. He was 16 years old when he w- wrote "Walk Away, Renee." And um, so you know, yeah, he's you know he was 16. So all all the things, all the great decisions you make as a 16 year old, you know, kind of affected <laughs> affected his life and. Um, and yeah, it's an interesting story. So I talked about that. I played lots of different music from all the way up into the mid seventies. So it, it was a lot of fun. Like you know, and it's just like a fun way to play music that I like. So I might, yeah, I might think about doing something like that with other artists. I, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe, maybe make it a monthly show because just to give me some some time. Who knows? I have not decided yet. We'll let we'll let the future decide. You know what? I could I could step out of my door to go into the house and get run over by a bus. That's passing by for some mysterious reason and then no one has to worry about it so it's fine we don't have to oh wow I, don't do that please do it don't don't get a bus don't. driving through my backyard no don't, no, don't. <laughs> i won't all right let's go on to dork shadows oh we don't have time for that uh we've talked everybody through it's so, okay let's get to the letters okay, oh darn all my notes that's fine please <laughs> uh so if if you remember last episode um Adam, the Frankenstein-like creature that was created when Barnabas attempted to have his life essence transferred into the cadaver that was uh, sewn together by Dr. Lang, um, threw himself off of Widow's Hill to the rocks rocks below where he was washed out to sea. And so as this, as the this episode opens with Barnabas and Willie searching along the beach below Widow's Hill for Adam's body, which they do not find. Mm-hmm. Um... So uh, now Willie is not helping willingly because if he has, despite his name being Will, he is not helping willingly. He is he is uh, obsessing over the fact that he has had the dream, part of the dream curse, and he has to tell Carolyn about it. 
And but Barnabas, of course, is like, no, Willie, you must stay with me. And it's, you know, what Willie could say is like, hey, you're not even a vampire anymore. What do I care what you say? But no, Willie's still kind of like, yes, Barn- yes, Barnabas. So then Barnabas decides he's going he's gonna, to uh, go along the beach and search farther along. And Willie should go uh, to some other place. I think back to the root cellar where Carolyn was, was hidden by, by Adam. And maybe look there to see if he's returned or maybe returned to the old house. So Willie says, yeah, I'll do that. But he doesn't. He, uh, he sneaks into Carolyn's room to tell her of the dream, but she fights Willie off and just basically chases, chases him off. But he's told her enough of the dream that Carolyn begins to have the dream, but stops herself from opening the door. It's pretty good. Pretty good willpower from Carolyn. A character that we have not, we only see every once in a while. She's kind of a comes, comes and goes sort of a character. And, um, sometimes it's hard to know her, you know, but she often shows deep resource and she does here. Professor Stokes, and Julia convince Carolyn to speak to Willie. So they're telling telling her that they want her to have the dream. But what what's going to happen is Professor Stokes says, you're going to have the dream, but I will be the beckoner. I will be the person who opens the door that you open oh, the door to. The beckoner. Remember when Ted Danson played beckoner? I love that show. What, what was that show about again? Uh, it was about a beckoner. <laughs> Yes, and <laughs> and then the key master and the gatekeeper. Oh yes, I remember you, that. You've got a movie to do. All right, can I come? Yeah. And, and no. Okay, said, I, I could beckon you guys to come back. Yeah, we're not going to do that. And they left. They said, "Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters." <laughs> so, um, so Carolyn has her dream, and as promised, Professor Stokes is at the door, and he leads her through the dream, and Carolyn sees her own tombstone. As soon as she wakes up, the professor has Carolyn immediately tell her dream to him. So then Professor Stokes has the dream. Then there's a knock at the door, and he opens it to find... He opens it to find... (laughs) There was a knock at the door? (laughs) Is is that the bus? Is that bus waiting outside for me? He opens it to find the blind Sam Evans standing there. Now Stokes... Said that kind of loud, didn't I? Stokes disobeys the rules of the dream. He recites recites the riddle. Usually now... When the beckoner beckons the person into the dream, I like this word now that they've used it for the first time in the show. When the beckoner beckons the person into the dream, they're the one who recites the poem, the little riddle. But Stokes recites the riddle. And then he refuses to open the doors. He demands to see the witch. And, uh, whoops, sorry. I'm doing my usual thing of turning it the wrong way. Angelique appears. She comes out from a door. And she attempts to control him by calling him Ben and insisting that he's Ben and saying, I know you, you're Ben. He's like, I am not Ben. I am Professor Timothy Stokes. And she draws an X on his hand, which I guess is some way to control him. But Stokes' will is too strong for her and she retreats. The dream curse is broken for now. After he awakens, Sam Evans arrives with Joe. He claims that he felt called by Professor Stokes, but... Even though this has obviously been set up in some way by Cassandra, Stokes does not tell Sam Evans the dream. When Sam arrives home, he discovers that Adam has broken in, and he's there. Mm. Blind, Sam does not realize who it is exactly. He doesn't realize it's Adam. He just thinks it's someone who needs help and has come into his cottage. He attempts to clean Adam's wound, but he is interrupted by Professor Stokes, so Adam runs away. And Stokes tells Evans who his mysterious visitor was. He warns Evans about the dream curse. And he says, if you have any sort of dream, like any kind of, you know, any sort of weird nightmare, I want you to come immediately and tell me about it. Meanwhile, 
Cassandra entices Tony to visit Stokes, giving him a Coptic cross and a vial of poison. But the vial of poison is contained in... What do you think the vial of poison is contained in? Remember, this is a corny soap opera from the 60s. Huh. What do you think it would be in? What, what place did sitcoms or shows of that time always have the poison hidden inside? Well, it's usually a liquor cabinet. No, no. It's something that people wear. Oh, uh, 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 things hanging around their, their neck? The ring. The ring. Oh, ring. The classic okay, right, ring that enough. opens up. I've seen, I've seen many places for poison. Okay, sir. well, I, I just feel like the ring was like a I real, don't real fight, corny okay? device. I don't want to fight on our show. <laughs> I was asking for a fight. So, so Tony visits Stokes. He comes there. We call it saying his name is Arthur Haley, writer of Roots. And, yeah. Yeah, strange, isn't it? Uh, but, uh, but and he shows, uh, he claims that he found this cross in when he was pulling up some floorboards, and his wife is, uh, Certain it's worth a lot of money and gives some kind of you know story which Stokes is perfectly friendly about and seems, um, but then uh, so then he says you know he invites Arthur to have some sherry with him and Arthur says sure and Stokes pours a glass of sherry for both of them and puts them on the table and then he says how about some cheese I can't have my sherry without my my evening cheese so he goes off to his kitchen <laughs> and prepares his cheese back when, back when they had the evening cheese yeah but don't you have cheese at night. Uh, uh, yeah, cheese at night, uh, mouse's delight. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I often have, uh, Lisa often makes crackers and cheese at night. Or something her mom oh, did as well. Nice. So, um, yeah, so they gets, he gets his cheese and he comes back and, uh, Arthur slash Tony is sort of nervously pacing. He was standing, looking at the, pretending to look at the Coptic cross, basically what he's doing. So they sit down and Stokes drinks his sherry while Arthur looks on intently, maybe suspiciously. And then when he sees that he's drunk his, he drinks his. And then Tony grasps his neck and goes, uh, and he falls to the ground. Oh. And Stokes calls Julia and he says, I have just killed a man. So Julia comes to examine Tony, but he hasn't actually killed him. Those are just, that's just a good show closer. <laughs> uh, he, she examines him and he's laying in, he's laying in rest. He's laying arresting. So she and Stokes discuss, they discuss what they can do about Cassandra and, Stokes decide, decides that they need the help of Trask, Reverend Trask. And Julia's like, well, easier said than done. He says, no, no, I think we can do it. We just have to figure out where he is. And he says, I have my my you know great-grandfather's journals. He has, he has old Ben's journals. So he pulls them out and he's he's reading. And, he, and Ben is talking about when when um, Barnabas bricked Trask in, into the wall when he killed Trask. And so he describes it, but it's missing some words. And so as, as Professor Stokes is sitting there, he's like, I wonder what Ben could have mean. And then there's a case of automatic writing where he just fills in the words that are missing from the diary in Ben's hand. Oh, okay. And so he's like, who was, lo- who did this happen to? And he, like, then he writes and he goes, Professor Trask. Oh, so then they know there's something happened to Professor Trask. And he's like, Da-da-da, you know, but it doesn't, it sort of obscure what happened. And then once again, this automatic writing occurs and he fills in, the gap, and then he knows that he was bricked into the wall in the basement of the old house. Mm. So they de- they decide that they have to get Trask somehow. So an abashed Tony comes out, and he's like, uh, "I think you should call the police. That's what I would do if someone did what I did to you." And Professor Stokes is like, "Well, they're likely they're as likely to arrest me for poisoning you as for you for trying to poison me." So he he's not interested in in doing that to Tony, uh, but he wants Tony to tell Cassandra that he is dead. Um, meanwhile, back at Collinwood, Roger is expressing some dissatisfaction with his married life. He accuses Cassandra of 
not being that interested in him, and of seeming to have some business, some secret business that she's very much concerned with that she's not telling anyone about. And she says, oh, you're being silly. Um, now she call. Uh, oh, sorry. So Tony, Stokes, and Julia go to the old house, go downstairs in the basement by where the where uh, Trask was uh, last seen, <laughs> and uh, they hold a seance to call forth Trask's spirit. Trash, tra- trash. Trask speaks through Tony and says a lot of stuff. So Tony gets to ham it up, or the actor gets to ham it up. Uh, then the brick wall collapses, exposing Trask's bones hanging inside the wall. But Trask does not appear again. Then David comes expe- unexpectedly. Julia thinks he m- believes him to be Adam and says his name, which gets Professor Stokes' interest because he met an Adam when he went to talk to Sam Evans. And he's wondering... Are they the same? And of course, Julia lies to him and he says, you're lying to me and I know you're protecting someone and I think I know who you're trying to protect, which of course is Barnabas. While they're upstairs, the skeleton disappears. When they go back downstairs, the skeleton is gone. But there's still no Trask. So they leave and Julia doesn't know where Barnabas has gone. Barnabas went had uh, gone further up the coast looking to see if Adam's body had washed up farther along. He returns home and he finds no one there. But he hears some sort of noise in the basement, so he goes down to investigate, and he finds Trask in the basement. And Trask confronts Barnabas. And Barnabas, he says, you, you know, murdered me. And he says, that wasn't me. That's how, that happened 200 years ago. That was another person. Which, in a way, is true, because he's no longer a vampire. Yeah. Okay. Holds but, up in court. But Statute tra- of limitations. <laughs> Trask's ghostly touch causes uh, Barnabas to fall unconscious. And when he awakes... Actually, he doesn't awake. We just, to, we just, find, we just cut to him inside the wall, hanging by rope from his wrists. And uh, Julia comes into the house looking for Barnabas, but she can't find him. And she doesn't go downstairs, so she just leaves again. So Barnabas is down there. Um, We cut to Sam Evans. He's talking to Adam, and he wants Adam to be his eyes and hands. He says, I can direct you, and you can paint for me. And But Adam throws the brushes to the floor because his hands are hurting him. And we realize that Barnabas is awake, and he's got the pain of his arms, you know, his full body weight dangling from these ropes hanging his, you know, holding his wrists. And Adam is psychically linked to Barnabas. He can feel the pain that Barnabas is feeling. And he says, he tells uh, Sam Evans, Barnabas hurt. Barnabas hurt. Mm -hmm. Then Joe Haskell arrives. That's Joe. That's the name I couldn't remember last time, everyone. Joe Haskell, Maggie's boyfriend, arrives. And he scares off Adam. Sam believes Barnabas to be in danger, whereas uh, from something... Joe believes that the danger is Adam. He says, when he said Barnabas hurts, he's saying, I want to hurt Barnabas. Whereas Sam believes that he means that Adam was concerned that Barnabas was in pain. Meanwhile, a weakening Barnabas is hanging by his wrists in the basement. Um, Joe comes to the house, knocks on the door, but there's no, no one answers, so he just leaves. Now Trask holds a ghostly trial, and he calls forth witnesses. The ghostly forms of Nathan Forbes comes, Jeremiah Collins... Ruby Tate and Maud Browning, the two streetwalkers, ladies of the night, that were killed by Barnabas. And Suki Forbes, um, Nathan's wife, who was killed by Barnabas in, in the old house. They find Barnabas guilty. Julia arrives and she, she hears laughter from the basement. She hears the, the, the last strains of Trask's laughter. And she goes down to the basement and investigates. And she f- sees that the brick wall is now sealed back up. And, of course, she's like, huh. That's weird, but she doesn't think, <laughs> think any more about it, apparently. 
Cass calls for Tony, Cassandra, I should say, he calls for Tony, but he doesn't respond. And Stokes arrives and prevents him from leaving. He, uh, he talks to, um, he talks to Tony and, you know, tells, tells him to try to resist to, you know, Sandra's call as long as he can. Then he goes to Sam Evans' cottage because he wants to talk to Sam because he, uh, you know, he's worried about this, uh, curse, of course. And, but Sam isn't there. So he's talking to Maggie when Cassandra arrives. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she is, of course, very surprised to see that Stokes is still alive. You might say shocked. And, uh, but she is introduced to Joe and, uh, she has a gift of gift of, uh, she has a pouch of pipe tobacco for Sam because she's heard that he has gone blind. Not mention, of course, that she was the one who blinded him. But she's brought this gift of pipe tobacco for Sam. But while they are all, while she's leaving and everyone's sort of talking in a bit of confusion, Stokes steals the tobacco and takes it away with him. So Cassandra finally succeeds in getting Tony to come, and she is angry at Tony because he has lied to her. And she wants to punish him, and she threatens him by, you know, she threatens to turn him into a dog or to uh, to uh, cause some sort of, a, you know, uh, cripple him in some way. And she decides this is the worst punishment she can think of. She decides that she's going to make it so Tony is madly in love with her and cannot be not in love with her. And, it, and as she moves to kiss him to seal this curse, he sees Elizabeth Colin staring down at them from a, from a upstairs window. And he takes that moment to escape before she can complete this curse. Stokes shows up at Tony's apartment and, uh, you know, doesn't accuse him, but says, I, I see you weren't able to resist going to see Cassandra. And he says, no. He says, you know, did she tell you that she saw me? And he said, yes. And he says, I examined the pipe tobacco and found that it had a sleeping powder in it. So I guess Cassandra's plan was to, to get Sam Evans asleep so he would have the dream curse with this, uh, I guess, somehow tainted sleeping powder. Then Elizabeth confronts Cassandra with her behavior, and she threatens to talk to Roger about her affair with Tony. But Cassandra curses Elizabeth to obsess over death, and especially her own death. Maggie puts on the earrings again and is drawn to the old house where she talks to Willie. Willie, however, is scared now because he doesn't want Maggie to be wearing these earrings if Barnabas shows up because Barnabas knows those earrings are missing and he wants them back. So she ta- he t- so while they're talking, they hear a tapping sound from the basement as if someone trapped inside a wall is tapping on it, trying to get some help. But Willie dismisses it as uh, some sound of mice. But he makes Maggie take off her earrings because he's, you know, he's afraid of Barnabas. But when she does, she kind of comes to her senses and she leaves. Then Elizabeth receives a phone call from the police that tell him that Adam has been seen by, by people or someone like Adam. So it's possible he survived the jump from Widow's Hill. Okay. She goes to the old house to find Barnabas, but she can only talk to Willie and she begins to obsess over her death, even speculating that someone is trapped inside the brick wall because she's become obsessed with the idea of being uh, buried alive and um, kind of a kind of a uh, riff on the post or the premature burial. Now, Joe is concerned about Sam's friendship with Adam. He thinks Adam is a dangerous creature, and that's, which is true. He is dangerous because he's very strong and doesn't understand his strength or what he's doing very well. But he's talking with, Sam, with Maggie about it, and he hears some sound outside, and he goes outside to investigate, and he finds Willie skulking around outside the cottage, so he knocks Willie out. Because to, to Joe... Willie is the person who was going to kill Maggie. If you remember, he was arrested 
uh, by the police on the doorstep of of the the cottage when they set the trap to try to find the the person who who had kidnapped Maggie. And so they believe that it was Willie. And so Joe is still under that misapprehension that Willie was the person who kidnapped Maggie and was there coming that night to kill her, not warn her. So um, he goes back into the cottage and he says, you know, I just found Willie outside. Are you friends with this person who tried to kill you? And Maggie's like, he didn't try to kill me. He tried to warn me. He says, he is a murderer. And he's really upset about this. And he says, listen, either you stop this or I'm out. And she says, mm-hmm. "Are you? Are, is that an ultimatum? He says, take it however you want. You know, and he leaves. After he goes, Willie kind of stumbles in, and then Adam arrives. So both Maggie and Willie are like this over-the-top scared of Adam because Willie, particularly, he, Willie has you know made an enemy of Adam, so he has not helped. Because oh, that's because when Adam arrives and he sees Maggie trying to help Willie, he says Willie bad and tries to stop stop Maggie from from you know touching Willie because he thinks you know Willie's bad, so Maggie shouldn't be you know. <laughs> it is bad when you touch Willie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're right. Yeah. Right. And uh, so Sam comes home and he tries to calm the situation down. He's like, you know, okay, you know, uh, Adam isn't, you know, Adam is not the problem. You know, we need to calm down everyone. But, but uh, Megan and Willie just like take it up a further notch and just further like aggravate and anger Adam. And then in his rage, Adam knocks Sam down to the floor. And he's so distraught by what he's done that he runs away. Meanwhile, Julia is at the old house. She hears uh, sobbing. Mm. And she follows the sound, and it's coming from the basement. And she goes down into the basement, and she sees it's the ghost of Josette. She's sobbing by the wall. And Julia realizes that Trask has had his revenge, and that Barnabas has taken Trask's place in the wall. So she has Willie. She orders Willie to break down the wall. And so Willie goes and gets a chisel and hammer, and he starts to hammer the wall. When Trask starts to mess around, he starts throwing boxes around the room and making a fuss. And uh, so Julia calls to Trask and he sort of appears in a ghostly form and she tells him of Cassandra his actual mortal enemy not Barnabas who is an innocent victim of Cassandra or Angelique's behavior by, by, his, by her witchery she says that's the witch that's the witch that you were looking for that's the person that you need to, to uh, find and stop and so he leaves he disappears Willie breaks open the wall and they find Barnabas unconscious meanwhile Cassandra is talking with Elizabeth who is angry with her because what Cassandra did, which is unusual is she cursed Elizabeth, but she didn't make her forget the curse. She didn't make her forget who gave her, who put the curse on her. So Elizabeth knows that it's Cassandra who is making her become so morbidly obsessed with death. And she says, and so Cassandra then uh, curses her again, but differently this time she curses her to believe that she's Naomi Collins. Oh, geez. So now not only does, not only does um, Elizabeth have a, death fetish but she now thinks she's Naomi Collins a woman who committed suicide so she she forces Elizabeth to come with her and she takes her to the Collins family crypt and she shows her an empty coffin and she says that will you will you will die tonight and that's where you will lie so Elizabeth runs away and Cassandra laughs and as she's laughing Trask arrives and he says she says you, you know she's like you can't be here you're dead and he says I am alive until I can stop you and he says, the only way you can stop a witch is to burn them. And he has a torch in his hand. And he sets Cassandra on fire. And Angelique slash Cassandra burns. A flame engulfs her and she shrieks. And that's, How do they do this in a TV show? They just have like, a, they... They have like a lit flame held up in front of the camera between the actor, ah. between the actor and the camera. Ah, okay, all right. It's very cleverly done. Just, you know, okay. just something that, you know, they don't have a lot of money. Come on. 
Yeah, I know. I was just going. That's a, that's a tricky thing to pull off. It's it does it works well though. Okay. Oh uh, yeah. So she shrieks in terror and pain, and that's where we'll stop this week. Okay. Yeah. The burning of Cassandra. I, I think Angelique. she's still going to be. Uh, this is going to be okay, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm quite. I'm quite concerned. Of course. <laughs> I'm not really not be. <laughs> yeah, well, if if your if your favorite character in the show is a witch who's murdering everyone, I guess that's the one you're going to care about. Wow. who is your favorite character on the show? That's a good question. Um I really like I have to say that it's kind of weird, but I cuz she's a bit of a cipher as a character, but I really like Vicky. <laughs> okay. Like I really find her like a sympathetic character, like like she is sort of like the nicest person. And she's the one who's like made everyone's lives better around her in in the show, you know. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't, you know, like you know, even when people are like, "Oh, Barnabas is terrible," blah blah blah. She's like, "No, Barnabas is a great guy." Like, what do you guys? <laughs> she's just like this a character full of love, you know. And I just find that I just I find that appealing. Well, okay. she's, a good, she's a good character. I I I miss Sarah, the ghost girl. I really liked her character, but she's she's gone now. She hasn't been back. I don't think she'll come back. No, all right. She's a bit of a deus ex machina, so it's kind of hard to make a character like that work too hard because she knows everything, mm-hmm. you know. So it was good to have her as a way for as an out for in some some instances. But I think, you know, you don't want to have uh, that happen too often. Where yeah, know it all, McGillicuddy. Yeah, just a know it all who know, you know has all the answers can show up and like show. Here's how you get out of this room, or uh, no, that's not the person who did that, or here's how you can yeah, or for Maggie, so here's how you escape from your cell. Yeah, well, stuff like that. But yeah. Speaking of uh, answers, mm-hmm. answers are usually a response to questions. Sure. And every week on the show, we uh, we usually uh, uh, ask questions, and then sure. you answer those. And uh, and and last week was no exception. So let me just turn a little bit over here to the mailbag, if I could, and and say like last week on the show we asked, what was a movie you'd recommend, but you'd have to reframe for modern sensibilities? Uh, who's your favorite dancer? And, uh, and hey, when do you start the week? Do you start it with Sunday or do you start it with Monday? Or are you a weirdo and you start it with Thursday? Is your worship <laughs> Thor? What, do you, what, what is it? Now, I, don't know, the Thursday, first, I don't know if that's a weird, weirdo. Thor's a pretty hip guy. Seems like, you know. Uh, he rubs his hammer and makes it bigger. That's what it does in the mythology. Doesn't do that in the movies. Uh, <laughs> maybe the more popular if he did. Now, the first letter we got was from you, Dave. That's true. Do you, do you want to say what you were saying, basically? Because it feels weird just impersonating yeah, Just you. read it. Just read it. All right. It's a letter. Uh, uh, before everyone, <laughs> I'm just doing an impression of you. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate the accuracy. Uh, okay, boss. Um, all right. Sometimes when you just let yourself go and aren't worried, like aren't self-conscious, you can just find that perfect impersonation. Sure. And I think wow. you, I think you really hit that. I really, really hit that. Uh, All right, let's just try it off. Wow, wow. <laughs> anyways, it wrong. Wow. Okay, before everyone and their smart sibling uh, jump all over me, novelist I was attempting to remember was Anne Tyler, and the Chinese American actress who eluded me was Anna May Wong. I really enjoyed her in a little B movie called "When Were You Born" from 1939, in which she plays an astrologist who foretells the death of a ship's passenger. When he dies the following day, the police uh, suspect her involvement. Declare her name. She must catch the murderer. What I really enjoy about being the star of the film is her character doesn't necessarily have to be Chinese, unlike uh, all or at least most of her other roles. It's a fun movie. She gets to be uh, imperious and not take any poop from the dumb, dumb police either. Speaking, and then we get to, speaking of a dumb, dumb, 
What's that? I said I said astrologist. I meant to put astrologer. Oh boy. Uh, oh, well, astrologist. Yeah. <laughs> um, Laurel Robertson replies to you that there's a part a podcast called uh, Morbituary Mobituaries by Mo Rocca. In case you haven't heard of it. Uh, one episode's about Anna May Wong and tells her story very well. I've not heard of her before. An interesting lady. You might want to check it out. And then I'll see if I can find that movie you mentioned. Then Crystal, hi, Crystal's back, uh, says, Laurel, I love listening to Mobituaries. <laughs> I wish Mo Rocco would uh, record some more. He also has a book published. It includes Mobits. I see a theme with this guy uh, that didn't uh, make it into the podcast. Anyway, the anime episode was really good. So there's a recommendation for Mobituaries. There is a recommendation for Mo Rocco's book, Mobits. There is a recommendation for the movie, When You Were Born. When when were you born? When were you born? 1939. So there you go. Recommendations all around. All over the place. uh, Our good friend Louise writes us, and says, when the sub-sub question was about the anachronistic uh, drawing room murder mystery films, I hesitated to mention Neil Simon's Murder by Death from 1963. Sorry, 1976. Uh, But now that we're recommending movies that need to be reframed, by the way, I'm writing something that takes place in 1963 right now. That's why that was on my brain. Um, But uh, but now that we're recommending movies that need to be reframed, I say, Check it out if you're an old movie buff. Hmm. It's a broad parody of the detective movies of Sam Spade, Miss Marple, uh, Hercule Poirot, Nick and Nora Charles, and Charlie Chan that screenwriter Neil Simon watched in his youth. When my brother and I saw it in in a matinee in our youth, we laughed so hard. We stayed for the second showing and watched it again. Hmm. Sure, now we know that racist, (laughs) sexist, gay, blind, and deaf jokes can be hurtful and that fart and dick jokes are dumb. Uh, The movie is a snapshot of how boundaries of good taste are being pushed in the mid-70s. I enjoyed the deadpan performances by British actors like David Niven, Maggie Smith, uh, Elsa Lanchester, and Alec Guinness, basing off against American actors like Peter Falk. James Coco, mentioned earlier in the show, and Nancy Walker. Truman Capote is weirdly but well cast as their eccentric host. Uh, the long drawn out denouement scene where each detective lays out their theory of who done it is a highlight. Peter Sellers parodying the idea of a white man playing a stereotypical Asian does not hold up. Uh, the character isn't uh, written and performed cleverly enough to avoid being offensive now. Well, then he'd move on to do the deadly plan of Dr. Fu Manchu, and then we'd all forget about this one, wouldn't we? That's <laughs> uh, same thing. Anyway, I preferred Gene Kelly's more manly and athletic dancing style to Fred Astaire's. Uh, the guy's got some good calves on him. Let's say that much. I'm throwing that in. Despite calendar <laughs> evidence, I agree that the week begins on Monday and ends with the week end. There we go. And uh, I replied, oh, geez, there's not quite something. So many of Peter Sellers' characters are parodies of Alec Guinness. Uh, that's interesting. They're in the same film. I'm guessing Guinness never played Chan. Uh, I was trying to find the first time a North American adaptation of Chan had not been played by a white man. China did their own uh, film version of the character. That was like in the 30s. Uh, and the American films are actually quite popular over there because it was the first time a Chinese character was portrayed in a positive light. Uh, Edward Dragansky writes, oh, well, it must be at the end. And yet we're not. <laughs> Edward, what's up? Um, I understand the actions uh, that Turner Classic Movies and others are taking uh, 
uh, when shown now. Some of the acting may be difficult to explain when seen by non-white audiences. Uh, I'm fine with the disclaimer being shown beforehand instead of the option of re-editing the films. Uh, that would be going too far. My main concern is that a young non-white child would see these films without any proper context explained from an adult, parent, or guardian and be very upset upon seeing enough uh, to have a damaging impact. I place the responsibility upon parents to either do their best to explain to their children why this was in the older films or just move on to something without any scenes to avoid. I watched a YouTube video where 20-ish uh, Asian viewers were shown uh, what was called Yellow Face, which was uh, white actors playing Asian roles like uh, Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's. They were so shocked to see this uh, footage for the first time. I have to admit, it may be uncomfortable to watch these kids see it. I think uh, these situations have called on us to develop better empathy and try to understand as best we can. One of my closest friends and roommate in college is African-American. He wasn't sensitive about rooming with two white guys who never had any awkward moments due to the difference in our skin color. Uh, 1987 was the best year of college, and we three still text and Skype uh, each other all the time, picking up right where we left off like uh, three brothers. However... Uh, whenever I see a scene in A Day at the Races where uh, the African-American performers are featured, I wonder, what would my friend think of it? It starts with uh, Who Dat Man, a minstrel uh, which features Harpo uh, playing Piccolo. They claim to, uh, him to be Gabriel for the song's purpose, and all the African-American cast of some of the best singers, dancers, and musicians at the time. The segment features a Lindy Hop sequence uh, for All God's Children Got Rhythm Song, including uh, Ivy Anderson, vocalist for the Duke Ellington Orchestra at the time, uh, the Crinoline Choir and uh, Lindy Hoppers. The dance sequence was nominated for a short-lived Oscar Award category of Best Dance Direction. Transitioning from song to song, this showcase is one of my favorite scenes because it's so electrifying and entertaining, especially for our Marx Brothers movie. Is it my responsibility to bring a sequence like this to my friend's attention? On one hand, I uh, empathize uh, for my friend when I watch it, wondering how it would affect him. I enjoy the sequence for its skill and entertainment, uh, but I think I would enjoy it more if uh, I knew it didn't upset my friend, should he ever see it. He is a musician, and he has uh, more than several platinum albums to his name as a very accomplished musician. So maybe he would understand this, and I'm not giving enough credit. Uh, someone made the point that it was an honor to be in a day at the race, races, and that the African-American performers in the sequence were paid very well for their work. At MGM, considering that America was currently in the middle of the Great Depression, it was quite a gig to get. I'll probably never be in a position where I watch a day at the races alongside my old roomie, but because I love him, I still wonder where my responsibilities are, if any. Uh, in general, I would say, not that it's my place to answer that, is uh, ask him. That'd be pretty much it. That's that's the thing we can guess, but meh, no. And, uh, and for me, it's not just these things being shown to people who are being parodied or not parodied, satirized, uh, uh, comedically exaggerated or whatever. Stereotyped. It's yeah. Stereotyped. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's for everybody to kind of like have this discussion and, uh, and whatever, you know, so you're not, it's, it's the old, it's, it, here's the thing. Um, there was a, a discussion recently about the character of Apu in The Simpsons. And uh, when the character of Apu was originally introduced, 
uh, Matt Groening did not want him to have a thick accent a la Peter Sellers in the party. Um, but then someone said, eh, just try it with the accent uh, to Hank Azaria, and it got a laugh, and it stayed in, and there you go. And there was a movie that came out called The Problem with a Poo, and the problem with a poo was if you were an Indian child growing up in the 90s uh, or the or the and the 2000s, uh, this was the only representation of someone who was Indian uh, in in media. This was the problem. Was you know uh, the only place that you would see uh, you know African Americans would be in these broad uh, caricature uh, situation stereotypes. Uh, so. That was a that was a thing, and the problem with Apu, of course, you know, is you know there was there was no other Indian performers. So when kids made fun of uh, you know Indians, they would they would do the Apu voice, and maybe it wasn't that Apu was such a bad character. It, the real problem being there was no other representation to counter that, so you could not you know so it it uh, it took on something something else. And uh, and that was kind of the case back then as well. Um, yeah, but it is something I think to be discussed. And I'm glad that Turner Classic Movies is is having this discussion. It's as as a comedian, we've talked about this <laughs> stuff a lot, and we'll yeah. continue to talk about it. And uh, hopefully, it won't just be a bunch of white people talking about it because uh, that moves nothing forward. <laughs> and as much as there's times in my life where I probably have gone. Hey, you know, that was a good show and everything was fine. How would I know? <laughs> I've only got my own perspective. There yeah. could be someone in the audience who is not seeing themselves represented at all. That's right. They're you going know? like, that's not how you play hockey. There you are. Exactly. And they'd be right because I don't know. <laughs> um, Edward uh, writes again. Okay, good. So this must be the end. Wait, no, it's not. God damn. <laughs> um, uh, I feel the same way about dancing that David does. It takes everything, mind, body, and spirit to rise to the top. I'll go with my favorite, uh, my modern favorite first, and he was the first person to come to mind when you asked this question. Gregory Hines. I grew up watching this man perform feats of magic. Ah, double E with the feats. Uh, as he danced, <laughs> and having the time of his life doing it. What appeals to me about Hines is that he collaborated well with other dancers, uh, those he uh, looks up to as well as the ones he, we may have forgotten about. I feel he uh, really brought so much to the craft of dancing. After many thought it was old school left in the past. Uh, Heinz made it cool again. I can get lost on YouTube watching Heinz dance for hours if I'm not careful. He's my favorite. Uh, I also like he's good in uh, movies. There was a, a good uh, movie he did with uh, Billy Crystal. I'm forgetting the name of that one. Um, uh, which I don't know if there's dancing in it, but yeah, he, oh, he was in that uh, Mikhail Bershnikov film as well. Yeah, it was pretty good in that. I want to say White Knights. It was, uh, my, uh, that was White Knights, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my favorite classical dance, classical uh, dancers were the, the Nichols brothers. Mm, yeah, uh, they're great. They're amazing. Yeah, I've never seen two people move together in sync with so much energy and almost defies the laws of physics. Uh, by then, back then, you got to remember there was less gravity. More gravity now because there's more people, so it made more gravity. That's science. <laughs> anyway, um, there's a video with the Nichols Brothers dancing with an intro from Cab Calloway, Calloway yeah. and it's unreal what these guys can do. Uh, they were my dad's favorite dancers along with James Cagney, who I'm told had no formal dance training what whatsoever. He just observed other dancers and did what they did. Yeah, dancing is fun to watch and timeless. 
Let me recommend this, Edward. If you watched a video where uh, kids were reacting to past things and feeling uncomfortable, there are some videos of uh, young people, uh, uh, often black, uh, watching Nichols Brothers dance numbers, including that one you're talking about, and just being blown away. <laughs> and not, and, and you know, they're dancers themselves often, and they're just stunned. So it's uh, it's very fun to watch that. So that's on YouTube if you if you check that out. And I think, um, and I think, can I just say one more thing uh, about um, about Gregory Hines? Mm-hmm. Um, is he was in the Cotton Club, and uh, I think uh, I don't know if it's Odia, but Francis Ford Coppola was doing is going to do a an, a re-edit of the film, and he's going to um, reinstate a lot of the footage of the black performers that was cut out of the movie by the producer Robert Evans, oh. who, who insisted that. Audiences don't want to see black performers, so we cut out, cut out a lot of the actual performances from the film. So, kind of a strange thing when you do a movie about a famous black club to then cut out all the performances by the actual like people who were made the club, uh, you know, legendary thing. So anyway, so yeah, so uh, Coppola is doing a, a new edit of the film and he's going to reinstate a bunch of performances. So I assume that Hines would be one of those people who gets uh, his uh, work put into the movie so that'd be that'd be really nice to see because that's a movie that that's a movie that was a bit of a fizzle but i have a feeling that if you made it more about what the subject was supposed to be that it would would uh, work a lot better rather than making it uh, about richard Gere, which is a little odd chris roberts writes i have a lot of affection for most of the fred astaire ginger rogers musicals especially when the supporting players include edward everett horton usually cast as astaire's prissy best friend and Eric Bloor as a snooty waiter or butler, etc. I say, uh, here, here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was almost going to do an impression, then I stopped. Uh, the plots are almost <laughs> often rep- uh, reminiscent of uh, P.G. Woodhouse, and while Astaire is probably most recognized for his grace and elegance, it's the wit and comic timing of his routines that appeals to me the most. I always liked his singing, Fred Astaire. Um, some of their uh, movies would certainly uh, do with a bit of reframing, however. Watching Flying Down to Rio for the first time a couple of years ago, I was pretty stunned at a scene where the leads uh, crash land their plane over a tropical island and immediately become the inhabitants, uh, assume the inhabitants are likely to be cannibals. Oh, how our grandparents laughed at this perfectly natural and harmless misunderstanding. Gene Kelly was a very different dancer and a good straight actor, too. He's excellent in Inherit the Wind. Do I prefer him to a stare, though? Well, if you press me, I'd have to say, hey, quit pressing me, buddy. <laughs> uh, while I'm mulling it over, here's a terrific clip from Carefree of a stare achieving the impossible by very nearly uh, making golf look cool. <laughs> There's a YouTube clip there. If you want to see it, go to SneakyDragon.com, uh, uh, episode 487, and look down to Chris Roberts' comment. Uh, week starts on Monday. That's official, according to the Geneva-based International Standards Organization. Well, very, very well. We have some backup from Wikipedia. Come so on. Listen, uh, so you know that is backed up yeah, from Wikipedia. because Chris went in and edited it. Believe me, you don't want to mess with those badasses. <laughs> Peace and love to dragsters and sneakers everywhere. Well, listen, I'm just going to say Dave's co-host, uh, or, or Dave's got co-hosts, and other people that he's related to who know how to edit Wikipedia. So I'm not messing <laughs> with any of that. Um, Even though they couldn't put a more modern picture of me up on my page, it got taken down. And they went, no, you from a long time ago. Like, All right, make me younger. 
Oh no! Oh no! Don't do that. Um, I was actually watching an interesting video today by this uh, British YouTuber named Tom Scott, who does a thing called "Things You May Not Know," and he was talking about he was talking about what we were talking about last time. While I was kind of pondering what it would have been like in the past, like how people kept time and stuff like that, and he was talking about the fact that in the past everyone just had their own time, mm. you know, like no one's time matched. So every every village had its own time. Every town had its own time. Every country, everywhere you went, people just had their own time. They just went by by what was called the noon mean time or something like that. Or um, and yeah, so when the sun was at its highest, when it reached that point, then you'd you'd just say that's noon, and you'd set your clocks at noon, and then you would carry on from there. But no one, everyone had a different noon, of course. And but it didn't matter because people didn't interact the way we interact nowadays, right? There was no no way to. There's no telegraph. There's no telephone. There's no instant communication. So that didn't matter. Um, but as time has changed, you know, they had to bring in different. Uh, they brought in like time zones was one of the first kind of step forward that they made sometime at the end of the 19th century. And then uh, and now we have a thing called un- universal. Oh, I can't remember what it's called now. Uni- Standard time. It's UTC is what the code is. I think and it's just like okay. for universal time something or other, and that is a time created. Uh, by atomic clocks, there's like six different atomic clocks throughout the world, okay. and they're they're used as a mean to to create like a a set time that the entire world follows. So all computers, all cell phones, everything are all set to that time. Mm-hmm. But even though it's as accurate as it can, as it's completely accurate in terms of itself, it is not accurate to the actual physical reality. So they have to add like leap seconds to it every once in a while to make it right. make it you know. Uh, uh, work with like the actual like stars and things. So it was interesting. It was an interesting video. Anyway, it's a guy named Tom Scott. He does a lot of interesting uh, things on YouTube. I, I recommend him. I like it. He's a uh, lunch, Laurel... he's a lunchtime favorite at work. We often watch him. Oh, very cool. Uh, Laurel Robertson writes, "Hi, David. Hi, Ian. Hi, sneakers. Hello, there Laurel. Is a 19... Hello, Laurel. Um, there is a 1964 movie. I think it's really good, but uh, it's a bit sketchy to recommend because in the Seven Faces of Doctor Lau." Tony Randall is the Chinese man who comes to town. I know you spelt that with a, a lowercase uh, C for Chinese, which, of course, it's, it's not really Chinese, uh, who comes to town with his traveling show. I haven't seen it in ages, but I really liked it uh, when I did. I think Tony Randall is very entertaining in the part and shows up as different characters throughout the show, but the Asian thing is kind of wrong. When I think of Wonderful Dancers, Mikhail Baryshnikov tops my list. Always I remember his great athletic leaps. He seems to hang in space for a crazy amount of time. He and Gregory Hines are beautiful together, dancing in the movie White Nights. Which, yeah, I just mentioned. Bill Bojangles Robertson, too. Big favorite of mine. There are so many. I know we were taught in school that the first day of the week is Sunday, but come on! That doesn't truly feel right or work for anybody, except maybe you, David. I'll have to go with Team Ian on this one. There. I feel like I finished my Sneaky Dragon homework just in time. By the time I write uh, our next assignment, I'll be fully vaccinated. Hooray! Good news, good news. Hooray, hooray. Huzzah! Uh, Have a a great weekend, or great week, gentlemen. And we will. And it will start on Monday. Crystal writes, hey, Crystal's back. Crystal's back. Crystal's back. Um, David and Ian. <laughs> That's quite a quite a lyrical. Well, you know, it's nice to have someone uh, new. No, I know it is. I just, I was just, I liked your song. You know, uh, treasure new friends and also the old. One is silver, one is gold. 
Um, <laughs> thank you for the recommendations on the places to visit in England. I appreciate your uh, taking your time to share your knowledge and recommendations. I've replayed the portion of last week's podcast several times, and I'm researching the places you both mentioned. Oh, my goodness. There are so many bookshops in Hay on Y. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong, no. Yeah. Uh, I hope to visit in the summer of 2022 if the COVID situation has improved. Staying positive, a delay just means there is additional time to plan a fantastic trip. And there will still be lots of books. Lots and lots of books are going to be fine. <laughs> Ian, I am definitely that kind of nerd when it comes to all things Doctor Who. I grew up watching Doctor Who when it aired on the local PBS channel in the early 1980s. David, did you do the same? We did not have it on our local PBS channel. What did you watch it on? Uh, a fellow who, I think he lived in Vancouver, but he he um, sold ads locally, mostly to like other nerdy things like Granville Book Company and stuff like that. He sold he sold ad time and he bought time on, on our, like a local station, KVOS Channel 12, which was, which was, it was a Canadian, it was a channel owned by Canadians, but because they couldn't get this channel past the CRTC here in Canada, they 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 established it in Bellingham across the border, but it still was basically a local station. Like it it had like Vancouver commercials and stuff like that. But this guy sold sold uh, airtime and he bought like a midnight to two in the morning slot on Saturday nights and he would play Doctor Who. And so he started with um, the doc, the Tom Baker ones and he played right through from the first Tom Baker one and then he went all the way up until till the bitter end with uh, Colin Baker, I guess. Or no, not Colin Baker. Um, Sylvester McCoy. Sylvester McCoy, yeah, yeah. Which that was very bitter, very bitter. <laughs> <laughs> but then you know they all fix it up by doing that movie here in Vancouver. And I think I, I think you know I speak for most people saying the show's gone downhill since they stopped filming it in Canada. <laughs> David, you speak for some continue, people. Continuing the letter. Oh, uh, David, yeah. I, I don't know how. And by the way, you'll see uh, Will Sasso in there. If you know Will Sasso. Uh, David, I don't know how much you keep up with the actors on Dark Shadows, but Robert Rodin, who played Adam on the series, just passed away on March 25th. Oh. He was 83. Yeah, he was a young he was a young man when he did that show. I don't really keep up on on the actors. It's uh I do I do look at the like every once in a while like I look at the cast list on on Wikipedia cuz it cuz I'm curious if it what, what other characters the actors are going to play. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Or, if, or if they're going to play like Robert Rodin, I think he only played Adam, so I don't think he. I I have to I'd have to go back and check though because. Uh, okay. Wait, wait. Do I have it open on my computer? Do you? No, I I did have it open. I I closed it. I had a tab with it because <laughs> I was looking at something. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's a. Uh, oh, I was looking because I th- I thought Sam Evans was played by a different actor at some point, and I was curious. But anyway, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't matter. Go go on, Crystal. Okay, a question of the week: Phantom of the Opera, nineteen twenty. 1920- it's one of many silent films and one of many Lon Chaney films that requires reframing for modern sensibilities. Everyone should see the film because of Chaney's makeup and performances. Eric, the Phantom of the Opera. Uh, the film closely follows the novel by Gaston Leroux. If you're not, uh, if you're not read the novel, this is the story of a mysterious, horribly disfigured, psychotic killer who catfishes a young singer by speaking to her as the angel of music. Uh, then he kidnaps her to his underground lair where he demands her female attentions. Even though it isn't stated or showed, there is an implied rape situation because of his violent dominance over her. Did I mention that the Phantom kills a boatload of people and almost succeeds in killing everyone who stands in his way of possessing Christine? <laughs> Sub-question. I like when James Cagney dances in the in the movies, 
but I'm going to go in a completely different direction and say that my favorite dancer is Tony Basil. Oh, that's a great choice. Great choice. Danced with David Jones and Head. Uh, she danced on Shindig and Pajama Party, plus did a lot of choreography for music videos and movies. Sub, sub question. <laughs> Sunday is traditionally considered the first day of the European week due to religious traditions, except in Hungary and other Slavic countries where it is seen as the last day of the week. I did a little research, and Sunday was recognized as the first day of the week by ancient Egyptians who passed the idea on to other religions and cultures like Rome. My personal thoughts are heavily influenced by my work schedule. So Tuesday is the start of my work week, making Sunday and Monday my weekend. Another great show, guys. Well, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Uh, Jada Jackman rounds out our uh, web questions and answers this week. Uh, you asked me last week, uh, when talking about cigarettes, if I had an addictive personality. And I'd say I have uh, more an all-or-nothing mindset. Sounds the addictive. reason I think I shouldn't smoke is because I'm already halfway there with liking how it smells. And because if I have one, I feel like I just go all in. I think of this all-or-nothing attitude is related to perfectionism. Uh, if I don't do something perfectly, then why do it at all? Uh, totally uh, not a good way of thinking. Believe me, I know. Uh, <laughs> you know, after dancing most of my life, uh, you think I'd have a favorite dancer. But I think I prefer uh, the act of dancing to watching others dance. I do love the amazing tap dances of the Nicholas Brothers. I'm a big sucker for tap. I think currently dance is a very team group based, even on Broadway, most big name performers barely dance. <laughs> uh, oh, and in case you're curious, uh, I've done ballet, tap, jazz, hip hop, contemporary, and lots of musical theater. I was usually a dancer in a show. All of these for various amounts of time. I must say that I have always thought of a week starting off on Monday, but in actuality, I think I treat the week as starting on Sunday. I have Fridays off, so I will usually relax Friday and Saturday and start some work on Sunday. So Sunday is the choice for Jada Jaffin. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, whenever I've done musicals, and I love doing musicals, and by God, I want to do more musicals. Uh, whenever it's, okay, let's learn the dancing. Oh, boy. That is the time that it's just, ugh, I just, I, I do not, I do not care for uh, doing dancing in a, in a musical, but I'm, I'm a sucker for singing, love doing it, uh, love everything else, but the dancing. Oh, Jada, the dancing. <laughs> David, do you have any letters from other sources? I do not. No one wrote an email to me this week. Yeah, interesting. No Take one, no one likes me. Take the hint. Yes, there's someone wrote you, but it was about a haircut. I so there you go. I know that much. <laughs> oh, did I did I write in the wrong uh, account? I must have. I think you did, and so I got a thing back going like, uh, "Here's the thing about a haircut." And I was like, "Oh, interesting." <laughs> That's funny. A little peep into my life. Um, well, what I thought was like somehow David is speaking in a way that people know that his hair is too long. <laughs> He's, he's speaking like a long-haired fellow. <laughs> I'm speaking like that long-haired know-it-all. Hey. Yeah. Can I can I read a couple of emails that came to shows that are that are older than this most recent episode? Sure, okay. So here's one for the Dick Van Dyke show. Hey, more <laughs> Maury Amsterdam. No, I mean this is for one of and our older I episodes. Love Rosemary. Okay, go ahead. This one for one of our older episodes. This is Elisa Williamson. Okay. Writing in yeah, about our comfort food question. Ah. She says comfort food question. I'd say it used to be tomato soup, but that has changed. Second place would have gone to Lipton's chicken noodle soup with crackers. I'd say now my comfort food would be macaroni, homemade. Re-five smells. 
I'd have to say the smell of my husband's skin. That's uh-huh. my skin hanging on the wall. <laughs> smell of my husband's skin. Horses, a bakery, lemon, and mint. Now, I got to say, I'm going to exclude myself from that. I, I like, I love horses. Like, I love how horses smell. And I love how barns smell. And I love a bakery. And I also love lemon, but I do not like <laughs> mint. Okay. And then we had an email from Addie. Addie. Hi, Addie. Addie wrote in to say, I came upon you both through my love of Brent Butt. In a, oh, okay. In a backward way. Back in 2012, I accidentally came across Dan Vermeer. That last episode of season one, where the lead candidate gets hit by a bus, making Dan the winning candidate, was hilarious. That then led me to hiccups. That show should have had way more than two seasons. Agreed. Which, eventually, after watching both of those series... I found, uh, I found Corner Gas, one of the best shows ever. So you went back. Oh, so oh, you watched Hiccups and Dan Vermeer first, and then went to Corner Gas. Yeah. That is a very non-traditional way of doing that. Please <laughs> there continue. You he says none of these shows were formally available in Atlanta, Georgia. Canadian TV is hard to find here unless you know where to look. These days, I rewatch them on YouTube. Fast forward to 2018. As I was re-watching these shows, I started looking for more Brent. I found he had a YouTube channel. That led me to seeing a teaser episode for The Butt Pod with Ian. That led me to Sneaky Dragon. <laughs> what are you laughing at? I'm laughing at that. It's, 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 what a path. Yeah, it's a good path. That led me to Sneaky Dragon. So while I haven't been here as long as some, only three to four years, well, that's a long time, but okay, three to four years, I am here to stay. You guys are both so entertaining and funny. You remind me a lot of a friend of mine, Thomas and me. He is like, sorry, he is the Ian, getting very angry over things once in a while, and me... What the hell is that supposed to mean? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> and me, playing the Dave character, trying unsuccessfully to bring him back from the brink. What the hell was that? What's this narrative? Uh, this about? It's, it's, you know what? I, I like to hear other people's... Yeah. You know, viewpoints you know i don't know what show you're talking about (laughs) we're only about four years younger than you guys so we both we share lots of similar memories with you both yeah so keep on sneaking you guys yeah yeah whatever anyway um (laughs) here's here's what i'm gonna i'm gonna throw out there uh so uh let me if you're if you're into uh some brent but first of all uh you probably know that there is a corner well first of all you probably know that there's a corner gas movie I'd say watch that after you've watched the Corner Gas TV show. Um, but the Corner Gas movie is, is quite good. Mm-hmm. There's also a Corner Gas animated series that's gone on a couple of seasons now. That's true, and I thought that was uh, available on Amazon. Yeah, uh, it, wherever you're watching Corner Gas, you probably will be able to watch the Corner Gas animated series as, as well. Uh, and here's a little bit of an obscure thing that you might like as well. Is uh, uh, Brent did a movie called No Clue. Uh, that he wrote. Yeah, I really like that movie. And started, yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, it's called No Clue, and it is uh, he's uh, there's a he's an advertising salesman who uh, becomes a PI. Uh, he's not really a PI, <laughs> a real fish out of water. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's fun. It's a fun film. I don't want to tell you much more about it, but wherever you're watching those things, try to look up. It. It's called again No Clue, and uh, with uh, Brent Butt. Yeah, he's not, so, I don't know if he's like a, he's sort of an advertising salesman, I guess he, but he kind of sells like matchbooks and things like that, that you would put your, 
your logo on and stuff? Yes. Yeah, he's like kind of a he's sort of a novelty item salesman almost in a way. But it's uh, yeah. It's a really it's a really good film. He's uh Yeah, he's I'd like picking. to uh, I'd like to see it again now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Why isn't that on Crave still? Come on, Crave. Yeah, come on, Crave. That's our Canadian way of watching that sort of thing. Um, hey, hey ha ha. Uh, so we gotta come <laughs> up with a question for uh, next time around. It sounds like half of this uh, podcast is gonna be vaccinated by then. So I guess I'm gonna throw this out as a question, is just like uh, something you're gonna do uh, when you know you guys out there uh, have have been vaccinated. First of all, if you're gonna be vaccinated, I hope you are. But like when you're, uh, you know, when you're uh, over this, when you're vaccinated, uh, what's something you uh, and and you've let the time period go that you have to? Uh, what's something you're gonna go and do or want to do? Is there a, a food that you want to go out and eat? Is there uh, someone you want to see? Is there an activity you want to do? What uh, what is something you are looking forward to doing? I'm not gonna say you're gonna get back to normal. I'm just asking, what is something when you're vaccinated you're looking forward to doing? That's a good question. I second question. Uh, second question. I'm looking forward to punching Dave in the arm real hard. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, this vaccination thing going like punch buggy. Uh, how's uh-huh. it feel to be safe? Likewise. Wacka. Kapoo. <laughs> Sounds like someone's jealous. We're really punchy friends. We're those kind of <laughs> you, you know, really guys. We're also, we see each other we're like put them up, buddy. Pow. <laughs> That's how we. That's how we. Uh, if you've seen us, you know that's what we're doing all the time. It's funny when I was a when I was growing up and I was a kid. I I was I did play a lot of games like that. Sure, but I we had brothers. You were ready. Yeah, for. that's the thing. As I got older, I kind of I got a distaste for it. I, I didn't I didn't like it as much anymore. No, no, it's bad. When you get and older. I never I never I mean I did bully my brothers, but I bullied them intellectually. <laughs> I never bullied them physically. You know what I mean. What's seven times eight? I don't know. Pow! <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't punch them though. I would just, you know, I would just, I would just overwhelm them with 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 blather, you know, like, you know. So if they were like, David, I watch the TV tonight. I would just argue them into the ground, you know, until they just would crawl away, def- you know, pathetic, uh-huh. defeated creatures who just couldn't okay. couldn't handle my word onslaught. So you know what you know? it's like. What? Like- <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> All right. So, so what bad. point did I drop off? So I just said that you. I, I just said uh, my verbal onslaught, and then you. You said. Oh, very good. Okay, here we go. Are you still there? Yeah. Right yep. I'm right here. Okay. So uh, okay. So it's basically like this podcast. You verbally <laughs> onslaught me. <laughs> Uh, on here, so you're pra- you've had all your life to practice. I've had all my life to practice, and then and then our nice listeners go like, oh, "Ian's so mad." So <laughs> that's fine. Um, but when I, but when I was going to say, but when we were younger, when I was like when we were teenagers and stuff like that, uh, sacking each other was like a very popular sure uh, sport. The the punch to the nuts was considered the 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 best. You know, we just like we called it sacking, and that was just oh. It's just a moment of gold. If you if you 
were like unconsciously watching TV and you had your legs spread apart, you were you were just leaving yourself open for assault. And that was just the way it was. Well. What a uh, world. Okay. That's, and there you go. Uh, I had sisters, so uh, none of that for me. <laughs> yes. You were lucky. I was, uh, mm, yeah. There uh, you go. Uh, so here's the thing, folks. <laughs> the, the Ian was the one who got the verbal onslaught. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to write us, uh, basically we've got that one question. If you, do you have any uh, sub questions or anything like that? I should, you know what? I should have, while we were on that pause, while I was calling you back, I should have uh, tried to, uh, quickly come up with, uh, let me think now. Let me think. You've got quite a bit of time because I got to do our plugs. Okay. Yeah. So, do, do some right. plugs and I'll pay, I won't pay attention to you. All right. Here's the plugs we're, we're going to be plugging. Uh, Dave and I do uh, a book series for Scholastic's graphics, uh, line of books uh, they are done you know for the young but i think you might enjoy them as well They're called sparks uh the series of books the first book is called sparks the second one is sparks double dog dare the third is called sparks future perfect and we just saw the cover for that for the very first time today and looks uh, amazing uh nina matsumoto is the artist i'm the writer david is the colorist and uh and as i mentioned before uh, the first two have become best-selling books in Canada. Uh, and you can get them anywhere books are sold. And I think you might enjoy them. It's about two cats that want to be heroes. No one takes cats seriously as heroes, so they dress up as dogs. And, or a dog and uh, save the world in various ways. <laughs> uh, I also do a comic called Exorcisters, which has been collected in two trades that are available at any bookstore uh, that you want to go check out. Uh, and I work with my wife, Pia Guerra, uh, who is a very well-known uh, comic book artist uh, with her book, uh, Why the Last Man, which is uh, right now being made into a series for FX Hulu. Uh, she's also an editorial cartoonist, uh, amazing in many ways. Uh, but we do uh, cartoons for The New Yorker, and now we have started doing a daily comic on Go Comics, and it is called Mannequin on the Moon. So if you want to check that out, Go Comics, Mannequin on the Moon, that is free. If you want to see us doing comic booky comic books, uh, we have one online on our website. Our website is hellkitty.com. So if you go to hellkitty.com slash super, there's a pay what you want comic book that we did with our friend Moritat. DC artist Moritat worked on uh, Constantine, Jonah Hex, so many things. He's amazing. And you can go check that out there. Uh, David has mentioned his other podcast, the um, uh, the uh, Sneaky Dragon listening party. We also have on our website all of our back episodes of Sneaky Dragon, also all of our back episodes of Totally Tintin, Full Marks, and Completely Beatles, uh, as well as what's the film one we did, Dave? Fansplainers. 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 There you go. It's, it, it wasn't in the same theme. Uh, <laughs> so you can check any of those out that you want. Uh, and uh, there you go. So that's a lot of free stuff and some pay what you want stuff. And then some regular book stuff you can get. So, yeah, if any of that stuff that you uh, you pick up really helps us along, so does um, uh, going to our Patreon uh, account and sign up for, like, you know, a couple of bucks a month helps us uh, to, you know, keep going and get vaccinated. Now, vaccines are free. But you know what I'm talking about. Uh, pay for the bus to get to the vaccines. Anyway, Dave, uh, any uh, any sub-sub question? Well, actually, I was inspired by our last conversational uh, part of the show there where I wanted to ask a question uh, when you grew up, did you have siblings and did you get along? Yeah. And if you, you didn't, go. and if you didn't have siblings, were you jealous of, of kids who did? There you go. Brothers and sisters, pump up the volume. Did you have any? <laughs> did you like them? Did they work out? Did you want some? Did you want some of a different sex? 
did you want to be a different age in there? Would you rather have been the little kid instead of the big kid? No, you wouldn't know. If you wanted to be the big kid. Always. Who wants to be the little kid? No yeah, one. Yeah, no one. No one wants to be the baby. Many did, though. Let us know. Let us know we're wrong. <laughs> Why am I so mad? Tell me! So on and so forth. Because I'm the only one in this uh, podcast not vaccinated? Yeah, probably. Yeah, a little bit. You are mad. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to uh, this this very long show. But hey, you know, it's nice to talk to David. It's nice to talk to you. Uh, we do appreciate uh, your kind attention. Anything else to say, Dave? No, I'm, I'm all talked out this week. Then let's wrap it up like it's Christmas, which is coming so very fast. Plan it, your list now. It is. There's only 17 Sundays till Christmas. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Dave's on sugar again. There you go. That's well. Oh, that's the okay. Trigger. Yeah, he's back. Lent's Lent's done. He's full of sugar, and he's going to get vaccinated. <laughs> yes, everything's coming up, Dedrick. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye, y'all. Bye.